0: Check this out.
1: No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. You can't compete against that. On 77
0: WABC. Smile. Taken smile even though it's breaking when there are clouds in the sky you get by
2: Lot of lot of clouds in the sky.
0: If you smile
2: Tony uh, I can't smile, Tony You know uh just had a switch and cruise because this is supposed to be Murano time. But, of course, Tony Bennett, he's opted to um, continue on with this vacation pension of him. And I believe this. It's like two vacations in two months. So I don't mind. I eat up the real estate, as you know. Uh, I might never go home. Because WABC is my home, always broadcasting, Curtis. But I I must relate to all of you, this will be a special tribute to Tony Bennett. I try to make up for my many faux pas, how I dissed and dismissed them in a national uh, radio broadcast that I did right here on WABC. But I just want to indicate I chose this out of the lexicon of great Tony Bennett songs because I'd like to smile, but how do I smile? My whole crew that did magnificently over the weekend maybe created the best one-hour comedy ever heard on WABC as we critique the mayor, Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan, his two-hour venture as Chef Emeril Lagasse at Gracie Mansion on Friday teaching the kids how to toss salad with hands and used every cycle sexual innuendo and had no idea he was doing that. I mean, for all of you who may have listened, or uh, couldn't listen, you got to go to the podcast because I mixed in Julia Childs with Eric Adams and even even Matt Plays who is a loyal centurion to Frank Morano. Frank Morano alone. Even first thing he said when he came in, There's "Oh my god. Time. I couldn't stop laughing." Look, I just used his words, and I used Julia Giles. Now let me get off that thing. We'll be talking about Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan, and the 10 o'clock hour. As he waited down at the Port Authority for what he expected, 40 illegal aliens on a Greyhound bus from Texas. Only 14 showed up. (laughs) And then the Greyhound bus driver told him, Sorry, Mr. Mayor, they bailed out. Oh, they were afraid of ICE, Immigration Naturalization Service being there? No. They didn't want to come to New York City because of all the crime. So they bailed out along the way. How embarrassing, how humiliating. We'll get to all of that, but... You know, I don't know what it is. The two oldest members of WABC are Cindy Adams. She's got me by a few years. And, of course, she was truly... Oh, look! A- Avery is here! Yeah, Avery! That's right. You don't have... That Ken doll guy he was, like, brain dead. All right, I kick him out, ladies and gentlemen. He was the phone screener or what uh, Frank Morano calls telephone talent coordinator. He fell asleep on me. You don't do that. And blamed it on Ambient said if Tiger Woods can fall asleep on Ambien, he could too. If you and he was hiding behind HR skirts. Oh, Curtis Lee would threaten me. Hey, come on, kid, wake up. We haven't seen him since.
0: <laughs>
2: and hopefully he never comes back. Now, now, tell me, Avery, was that the greatest hour of broadcasting at ABC? You could speak here because I... Yeah, you see, they banned you from talking on the uh, Frank Morano show or other ABC shows. That uh, one-hour extravaganza we did mixing Chef Eric Adams and Chef Julia Childs, you, Broadway Bill Lee, myself, we are the uh, African-American trio. Yeah, they think I'm African-American because of my name, Curtis. But, uh, Avery, was that not... The funniest hour
3: you have ever heard on WABC.
0: Yeah,
2: no,
3: a lot of good laughs, man. Very informative, man.
2: <laughs> what do you mean very informative? <laughs> it wasn't meant to
0: be informative.
3: You no, know, I remember the, the mayor. The, the mayor, uh, he told, he showed me a lot in, in that uh, cooking hour.
2: Yeah, he showed you how to toss
3: salad. Yeah, a lot, lot of Freudian slips. <laughs> a
2: lot. <laughs> He had no idea either when he was doing it in front of young adults.
3: There are no accidents, man. Oh, boy. Toss
2: salad. He has no idea what that means. I'll tell you, a cop would know what that means. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, let's get serious here, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to hear what many people have been talking about, tweeting about, Facebooking about the greatest hour of comedy in the history of WABC in all 100 years, obviously it was on at times that some of you wouldn't be listening you can get it on the podcast. It was uh, 3 a.m. Uh, on uh, Sunday morning. Actually, no, it was Saturday morning. Saturday, And then we did part two on Sunday morning, and that was just as funny. Well, there was so much. The mayor was just giving, as was Julia Child. Best
4: that you have, your hands. You know, you, you, you can mix it up with your hands. You know, and if you're going to mix it up with your hands... Make sure you wash
2: your hands. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, good advice. Stick to being mayor, please. Take the apron off. Get out there and start fighting crime. We'll talk about that later on in the Morano four hours. Just to give you an idea, ladies and gentlemen. So I'm going round, round the clock, which I always do, always broadcasting Curtis from one program to another, never trying to do the same subject twice. And uh, Matt Blaze, who I still insist uh, is a fugitive with a name like that, who must have multiple aliases, we'll figure that out. I've contacted Bo Dido, and I've asked him as a PI to do a background check on you. Uh, let me tell you, he says it's taken a few days because there are quite a few names. But anyway, then the brown nose walks in Alex, you know, the producer. I say, you know, Alex... Uh, Uh, These are the things I want to be able to do from 1 to 5. He goes, what are you talking about? Frank Morano's going to be here. I I said, no, he's still in Greece with the uh, Eric Adams Republican Joe Borelli. You know, they were on a yacht and they posted, ladies and gentlemen, this is how half in the bag they must have been. You know, drinking at Uruzo that after-dinner aperitif that the Greeks like that will knock your brains out. He says he was staying on the Ernie Anastos yacht. Ernie Anastos. Ernie, great broadcaster, is back at Channel 5. He took a little sabbatical uh, at the Harvard Business School. I mean, he's in his 70s. But I, I tweeted back, Aristotle Onassis, you know, was with Jackie. Yeah, you know, it, 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 it. Neither of them knew what the hell was going on because they're blitzed. And then all of a sudden, what am I being told? Oh, well, uh, we may eventually come home. Well, you know, stay over there. Stay over there. The more you're away, the more talk time for me, the more subjects we can get into. But boy, I I just want to salute Cindy Adams because, like mine, I'm the oldest male here. She's the oldest female, without a doubt. What did she lead her massive piece in today's New York Post with? Her tribute to Tony Bennett. Gee, like mine, think a line. Icon Tony Bennett turns 96 during a busy New York City summer of celebrity sightings. And actually, she goes on to extol the great virtues of Tony Bennett, saying that Bobby De Niro texted, sent videos, and told him, I love you. Stevie Wonder sent birthday stuff and said his favorite song, If I Rule the World. And she went on and on. Now, I don't know... Uh, Matt how a top, Cindy Adams. I mean, she's been on a roll lately. She did uh, Kiss. You know, the guy with the uh, tongue that goes around the world. Gene Simmons. Oh, yeah. I-, I can't imagine that Cindy Adams is part of the Kiss Army. She did an amazing interview right here at WABC. You don't want to miss it. Sundays 1 to 2. Followed by the queen of radio, without a doubt, Joan Hamburg. She did a fabulous interview about Harvey Harvey Weinstein. And then earlier today, she was talking about... Now, this is Joan Hamburg talking about punk rock in the 70s. Down at CBGB's in the Bowery. She was talking about Black Flag. She was talking about the Ramones. She was talking about oh, the very group... That wrote a song in honor of me and the Guardian Angels, the greatest counterculture b- group in the world, The Clash, Red Angel Dragnet. Joan Hamburg. I mean, hip happening. I just got to keep pace. The guys, oh, wait, wait, let's talk about, what are we going to talk about as guys? Well, Let's talk about, oh, yeah. Uh, Senate Democrats, by a razor-thin-margin-passed domestic bill that addressed energy taxes, you know what they called it, the Inflation Reduction Act. No, no, no. Save it for the rest of the day. You didn't see Cindy talking about that. You didn't see Joan Hamburg talking about that. And I got to do my tribute to Tony Bennett. I really do. As uh, the brown nose producer for the Frank Morano Show, Alex is outside wondering... How come I didn't know he wasn't coming back? How come I didn't know? How come I'm always the last to know? Because, Alex, I got to tell you, you're a brown nose. You're a person of no significance. And uh, you are what is called the last man on the DNA chain. You're never going to know. Because Frank Morano didn't know. Oh, and the tweet he sent out... I think we're going to hold that for the overnight for his show because, man, this could really get him in trouble. You know, this might be the signal to him that he needs to give up drinking now that he's actually drinking Velveeta cocktails. They have Velveeta cocktails because he loves fromage. One thing I will say about Frank Morano, he loves Tony Bennett, too. Who doesn't love Tony Bennett? Tony Bennett came out to Staten Island when the St. George Theater on the North Shore had been put all back together again. And he performed a concert of the ages. It was a packed house. And he said, I'm doing this because of my loyal following in Staten Island. Now, I'm not going to mention other people at his level, but would they have come out to Staten Island? Would they have come out to the St. George Theater? It's not like he was getting paid a mint to do it, like going to a casino in Las Vegas or Atlantic City. He said it because... It's such a great theater to perform. And then he puts the microphone down on the baby grand piano. And he says, you know, the acoustics here that were built into this great theater over a century ago are so good. I don't need the microphone. And he performed without the microphone. And if you've ever been in the St. George Theater, you know, it's massive. A few thousand people are sitting there. He did not need the microphone. He talked about how the artisans had built certain portions. Naturally, they were Italian, right? Uh, uh, Let's pay tribute to what tribute should be. The Italian artisans who had crafted that great theater and its acoustics so that at that time there was no such thing as microphones amplification. You got on that stage. That was it. It was you and your pipes. And as Tony Bennett explained to all of us in the audience, you had to do that because there was no way to amplify your your votes back then, your voice. Thinking of it, a hundred years ago, almost simultaneous to the start of WABC, within months we'll be celebrating the 100th anniversary of WJZ when we were birthed in Newark, New Jersey. A hundred years ago. Oh, we're gonna continue on with our uh, Tony Bennett tribute and also tie in uh, discussions about why he had to accept being named Tony Bennett. Now I know you, Matt Blaze, you've chosen to change your name because you're a fugitive, trying to beat the rap of some white collar crime. We're quick close, Bo Dido, he's on your case. Best PI in the business. You're dead, you're dead meat. But maybe you'll survive another week to broadcast here with Frank Morano before they take you away. You know, look, you owe, you owe the IRS like a lot. Oh, that's right. 87,000 new IRS agents, right? So if you didn't get nailed before, they would certainly nail you now. Our number is 1 800 848 That's 1 800
0: 848 WABC. WABC. Check this out.
1: No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. You can't compete against that. On 77 WABC.
0: I want to be around.
2: Yeah, I really do.
0: Pick up the pieces.
2: I had to after I lost the mayoral election,
0: right?
2: Broke my heart.
0: Some somebody twice as smart as I.
2: Wow, what a great singer.
0: A somebody who will swear to be true as you. To do with me who lead you to learn that misery loves company. Wait and see. I mean I wanna be around.
2: Oh, I certainly do
0: to see how he does it.
2: I don't plan on uh... Going ashes to ashes, dust to to dust, anytime soon. But, you know, this is a great song with so much meaning, so much musical fiber. And you can feel that Tony Bennett is putting his heart and soul into it as he did all of his songs.
0: And that's when I'll discover that revenge is sweet. As I sit there applauding from a front row seat when somebody breaks your heart like you like you.
2: Robot. Let me tell you how Tony Bennett's heart was broke like a lot of Italian Americans. Sure, I'm sure. He had certain uh, loves in his life, certain losses, like we all have. No matter who you are out there, you can all think back to the time that you were dropped like a bad habit or you did something in which you deserve to be dropped. But uh, that's not what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, Tony Bennett. It's about his name. A lot of people said, how come it's Tony Bennett? i thought he was baptized birthed anthony dominic benedetto in long island city hospital the only uh, child of his family was actually born in a hospital the others were delivered by a midwife in their uh, meager apartment in astoria his father and mother were calabres you know they have hard heads came to america worked hard but his father had a lingering illness And his father was always telling him, he said, son, you have a responsibility, a responsibility to perfect the talent that God may have bestowed on you. And to constantly go out there and pursue art and literature and things that Italians have done for centuries. Now, his father was not a performer. His father owned a grocery store just like Mario Cuomo's father did in South Jamaica. They were just a few miles apart. And his mother was a seamstress. But his father, at a point, was unable to work, debilitated quickly, and at the age of 10 years old, the hero in his life, Tony Bennett's life, although at that point he was Anthony Dominic Benedetto, passed to the hereafter. It was during the Great Depression, and Tony did what a lot of uh, men and women did during the Depression. They left school. He was in high school. He left. And my father left school. uh, Lane Tech in Chicago at 16. It seems they all ended up leaving school, especially if they were the oldest siblings and they had to go out and work. They had to contribute to the welfare of the family. His experiences of supporting the family by being a singing waiter. Ten years old. Imagine. The kid is bussing Tables. Sing singing waiter. Sort of reminds me of the story that John Katsimatidis has told all of us his story of rags to riches. How his father came over from Greece and bust tables his whole life, but was proud of every moment that he went to work. And he, he said, Look, that's my life. My life is to care for my family. They grew up near Convent Avenue in Harlem, a Greek family in Harlem. And you know the rest of the story. In uh, John Katzarites had an opportunity to go to West Point. Not many people do, and he said, "Nope. Just like my father, kept his uh, family alive by bussing tables. I'm going to go to work, and I'm going to make sure I take care of my father and my mother. Oh God, it's the it's the American story. I don't care, Italians, Irish, Greeks." Folks who came from the continent of Africa, South America, Asia. It's universal. You, All of these stories. And it's empowering and it's motivating. Imagine, here's Tony Bennett. His father has just died. And he's at the Triborough Bridge upon its opening. Now, I'll never call it the RFK Bridge. Hey, look, my husband-in-law named it that. Hey, you wasted a lot of money on that, David Patterson. To me, it'll always be the Triborough Bridge. And who was standing next to him as he sang? A 10-year-old kid, Mayor Fiorello LaGuardia, who patted him on the head and said, Wow, you're going to be a great singer one day. You know how empowering that was to a kid? Everybody loved Fiorello LaGuardia because he loved the kids. He would read the comics to them during the Depression over the radio when radio was king. And he was Tony Bennett trying to go to school, PS 141. He was also an excellent commercial artist, and his teacher said, Wow, you have quite the career. And he said, But I can't. I got to take care of my family. And he left school. And he was a copy boy and a runner for the Associated Press. At 16, he took other low-skilled, low-paying jobs, like so many listening to this show now. And then when all was said and done, he returned to performing as a singing waiter, just like Frank Sinatra. You've heard Joe Piscopo tell that story every Sunday from 6 to 8. By the way, Joe, another great show earlier today, sponsored by Ramsey Mazda. And then his big opportunity. He's invited across the Hudson to Paramus to a talent show. Now, that's Sinatra land, as you know. Sinatra was able to keep his name all Italian. But other Italians at that time, they had to truncate their names. And he was there in Paramus, and he won the talent uh, night at that nightclub. And all of a sudden, his career was starting to look good, but it was World War II, and he was drafted. Fought in the Battle of the Bolts, just like Ed Koch, both never really given credit for that. But while he was uh, going through his training and preparation at boot camp, his uh, drill sergeant was calling him every pejorative, giving him KP, giving him the worst jobs, calling him not just WAP, Dago, Guinea, but a white N, an N-WAP. You fill in the dots because back then, Italians were not considered white. No, no, they weren't considered white. Even though you had Joe DiMaggio, even you had these great Italian performers, a few who were able to keep their Italian name of origin, the others were forced to give their name a bris. Imagine you called all those names. You just want to knock this guy out, but you don't want to go to the brig. Fights his way all the way into Germany. Comes back. Nobody would hire him because there was no jobs for the veterans coming back. It was, it was universal no matter what your background, but harder for Italians. So what did he have to do again? Tony Bennett, he had to go back to busing tables and singing. And then all of a sudden he got a big break. A big, big break. And it transformed his life. It was four years after World War II, 1949. And Pearl Bailey recognized Benedetto's talent, and asked him to open for her in Greenwich Village. As you know, Greenwich Village then as now very bohemian, very libertarian, very open-minded. And she had invited Bob Hope to the show. Hope was impressed with Benedetto, asked him to come on the road, but said, Kid, it's not going to play in Peoria. That Benedetto thing, uh uh-uh. You got to waspize your name. It's Bennett from now on. And boy, he wondered at that time: should I, should I give up, should I give up the name of my father, Benedetto, who gave and breathed life into me and died at such an early age, and act like I'm not an Italian? But others told him, "You got to do this." In fact, Mitch Miller, Mitch Miller came on board and said, "We'll be your band, but..." You better not imitate Frank Sinatra. You better be Bennett. We don't need any more guineas and wops and dagos in this business. And then he cut his demo, Boulevard of Broken Dreams, and it was the first hit. But you know what was interesting about Tony Bennett, unlike Frank Sinatra and other crooners, is that he dabbled, he dabbled in the uh, movies. And from time to time, he was offered opportunities. But there was a particular performance that he did when he was auditioning. And they looked at him and they said, you know something? Your facial features are just too Italian. You know, he had that olive skin. He wasn't like a northern Italian. Northern Italians were light-skinned. He was from... Calabria, Calabrian background, like body where my grandparents came from. My grandfather, Fidel Bianchino. You see pictures I posted. them, man, he almost looks black. And boy, I said, man, you're not gonna make it in movies. You're not gonna make it in movies at all. And he said, give me a chance. Give me a chance. So he was in the the film, the Oscar. And uh, the reviews were horrible. He didn't seek any further roles. And you know how we discovered him in the Sliwa household? My mother, Francesca. She loved Perry Como. Perry Como and his sweaters. And he would have a Saturday variety show. Every Saturday there was Perry Como, and it was like everything stopped in the house. My mother loved Perry Como. NBC. And then it was the summer... And Tony Bennett was substituting because Perry Como was away, and he would croon, and he did everything that Perry Como did. And my mother said, "Oh my God, is he Italian? He looks Italian. He sings like an Italian, but he doesn't have an Italian name." And then my father, who was of Polish origin, told her, "Francesca, they wouldn't let him keep his name Benedetto." that's how we learned about Tony Bennett in our household.
0: WABC. Check this out.
1: No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 (laughs)
0: WABC. I know I'd go from rags to return
2: Tony Bennett did. If you would only He was poor, he was cares. impoverished, without a father in Astoria. His mother and a seamstress taking all the work that she could BMT, to support he and his siblings. I as I mentioned in this hour tribute to Tony Bennett, he was bussing tables and singing as a waiter two times. When he was 10, When he was 13 and then when he came back as a hero fighting in World War II against the Nazis at the Battle of the Bulge and then battling his way into Germany, imagine, couldn't get other work, couldn't get other work. And then in a matter of years, you couldn't deny Tony Bennett because of his talent. He eventually won 20 Grammy Awards, including a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. But like everybody, you have your ups and downs. There are people listening out there who know exactly what I'm talking about. In fact, uh, our own Sid... Rosenberg. By the way, do I uh, have to hawk his book like once an hour? I mean, would this uh, be the appropriate time? Uh, steal his book, please. Yeah, we'll get to that momentarily. The Sydney Rosenberg book. But Sydney, as you know, has been up and down and all around. He's been at the apex of career achievement and then basically snorted it all up his nose. And believe it or not, that's exactly what happened to Tony Bennett in 1979, the very year that I started the Guardian Angels. He was at the apex of his career. I mean, he was, every night he was in Vegas. He was touring the country. But he got into the nose candy like a lot of people did back then. And he became hopelessly addicted. He uh, had a mansion, huge mansion in Los Angeles. The IRS took the mansion because he owed back taxes. Hey, we all know what that feels like, right? And then he calls up his two sons and he says, Sons, please come help me. I have crawled into the belly of the beast. I cannot fight this addiction. I need your help. And he obviously raised two great sons because they were there with him every step of the way. And then he emerged, he emerged, he was able to uh, come back, took a licking, a real bad licking. And like so many others, like the phoenix rising out of the ashes, got back on track as the great performer that he was and is, even though he is now caught in the throes of dementia and Alzheimer's at the age of 96. But then he struck out. And uh, became a professional painter. This is what he had always hoped to do. Well, I'm not talking about painting houses or painting apartments, that kind of work. I'm talking about putting a parchment up and painting. And he followed up on his childhood dream with professional training, with work and museum visits that he would do throughout his life. And he had sketches or he would do paints Painting every day, often of views out of the hotel windows when he was on tour. And when they asked him who painted this, you know what he said? He said, Anthony Benedetto. Who's that? It's me, Tony Bennett. He said, they took my name away. They sat me down, both uh, Bob Hope and... Mitch Miller, and they said, "You'll never make it, kid, on the road. It, it'll never play in Puyallup unless you change your last name." And he told those that were pursuing his art, he said, "This is a tribute to my father. They made me emasculate myself and dishonor my father, dishonor, dishonor his Calabrese background, my mother's Calabrese background. No, no, no. From now on, when I sell art, when I do art." this thing that I so love as much as singing and all performance art, you will refer to me as Anthony Benedetto. And that's what I'm going to sign my paintings as. And people, obviously, you're not going to argue with Tony Bennett. You want, And he's a good artist. But there was another story about Tony Bennett that I want to share with you. It was from Vinnie Madunio. He's the rising star from Staten Island. Not Frank Morano. Is I don't know, he's like circulating around the planet. Hey, you think, Frank, you want to land here? You think you want to come back to work? Typical hipster and millennial. You all think uh, you're entitled to vacation time. Oh, uh, Tony Bennett didn't take any vacation time. He was constantly out there on tour when he didn't have to be. Busting tables, shining shoes. Imagine. Hey. You Dago, you WAP, get your shine box, huh? You know what that must have felt like in Astoria? Some guy will call you a Dago, a WAP, a Guinea. Hey, where's your shine box? They need a shine. Hey, why don't you dance? Why don't you sing like an organ grinder's monkey? Because that's what they thought of as Italians then, huh? That's what my grandfather told me. He couldn't read. He couldn't write. He said they think we're all organ grinders and we're like monkeys. You can throw a few coin on the ground and we'll just dance and sing and entertain for them. And then he would say Sfatsheen. Skifosa. And he would say words, Man, po, as a kid I was like He was in a rage. Think of all that pent-up rage. Hey Dago, dance, Hey, Hey Wop. Hey, hey, Guinea, sing, sing, sing sing for your food. Like a monkey with an organ grinder. Like Mr. Bachigalop, huh? Now, my grandfather, he had 13 kids. My mother, the last job, Francesca, he had to work. He had, if he didn't work, that's it. It was no social relief. No, no, they had what they called debtor's prison. You didn't pay your debts. You went to prison. You went to the poorhouse. He was too proud. He had 13 children. He was a ditch digger. His wife, Nicoletta Bianchino, a learned woman, but she did all kinds of seamstree work on the side, like so many Italian-Americans did, where they would deliver it to your house and you'd be doing this uh, sweatshop work all day, all night, just to keep your family afloat, just so you could have a bowl of pasta vazool at the end of the day with a piece of Italian bread. I'll never forget, And grandfather said, they would say to us, hey, Guinea, hey, dago, hey, wop, why don't you dance? Here's a few coins." Hey, monkey boy, dance. You know, he wanted to kill him. You know, part of Fidel Bianchino is in me. I would have killed him. He said, but we couldn't. They put us in jail. And who who was going to feed your mother, Francesca? Who was going to feed all of my other sons and daughters? Who would take care of my wife, Nicoletta? Think of that. We take all of this for granted nowadays with all of our success, with all of our backgrounds. We talk about who we are and where we're from with ethnic pride. But imagine what Tony Bennett felt like, stripped of his dignity because he so loved his father, Joseph Benedetto, who, who breathed life into him, who catered to what Tony Bennett wanted to do, art. Acting, performance, singing. And in fact, so much so that New York City, the Board of Education came to him and they said, Tony, we want to set up a school in Astoria for children who want to perfect their their abilities to sing and dance and perform and do art. And we want to name it after you from Astoria. And he said, no. No, he goes, I will raise money for the school. I and my wife with our foundation. But you really should name it after Frank Sinatra. He was better than me. He is more universally recognized from me. I've actually uh, done duets with Frank Sinatra. You've heard him on the Joe Piscopo show. It's he said, now, imagine how humbled he was to say, no, name it after Frank. Sinatra. yeah, he's from Hoboken. They said, no, name it after Frank. And that's what it's known as now my middle son Carter wanted to go to the Frank Sinatra school in uh, in Astoria but wasn't able to meet the specifications because you know you have to audition you have to do things that would get you into that school and he dedicated his life to raising money he and his wife, to give arts back to the children in the public school system, which have been taken from them, really taken from them. I mean, think back. I went to public school, PS 114 in Canarsie. There were instruments. We had band class. There were choral class. There was art programs. Look, it wasn't for me, but it was for other kids. You know, we talked sports, sports, sports. Let's face it, growing up, most kids were not into sports. They were into arts and crafts. They were into doing art. They were into playing instruments. They were into doing theater and musicals and performing way more kids that were attracted to that. See that with the P.A.L., the police athletically. You know, I always thought the P.A.L. was just, oh, boxing and sports and uh, street activities in the summer where they close the street and he'd play stickball, boxball, stoopball, Johnny on the Pony, buck, buck, ring, Olivia, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Yeah, but actually there were more of the children who are taking advantage of all the art courses, the singing, the dancing, the theater courses that are offered at the PAL. Tony Danza has dedicated his life to mentoring those children there, just like Tony Bennett has with our school system in New York. When we come back, what a surprise. Vinnie Madunio, who teaches at Port Richmond High School, who is in charge of media charge of arts, in charge of song and dance in theater, had the surprise of his life when he was called into the principal's office, and who is sitting there? Tony Bennett.
0: I'd be a millionaire. Mike,
1: W-A-B-C.
0: Check this out.
1: No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. You can't compete against that. On 77 WABC.
0: The loveliness of Paris Seems somehow sadly gay My heart In San Francisco What
2: a classic song. And I just happened to be in San Francisco organizing the Guardian Angels in the 80s. You know how bad it's become now. In the Tenderloin, Lower Tenderloin, Mission, Potrero Hill, Sunnyvale. It was rough then, not as rough as now, but uh, Dianne Feinstein was the, the mayor, you know, the U.S. Senate, and now was like, older than, uh, uh, she was. She's like the oldest person there, how huh? they're all the old, uh, out the cockers in the Senate. She was the mayor, and I had had a meeting, and she said, I'm gonna run you out of town, you and the Guardian Angels. You're like posse comitatus, vigilantes. What are you gonna be hanging? Gays on Polk Street, and I said, Excuse me, Madam Mayor. Shut up. You you talk when I when I tell you to talk. Oh, what a you-know-what. And I told her, finally, I said, you know who we were invited by? The gay population, because of all the attacks on gays. They invited us to organize. She would hear none of that. She said, Ed Koch hates you. There's no mayors out there who support you. I'm going to run you out on a rail. So I had to go to uh, Russian Hill to speak to a community group to try to get some support because they had me tagged as, you know, next stop will be uh, Alcatraz for me. And who came out of a restaurant at that moment and saw me in the street? Tony Bennett. You've been performing in the Bay Area. And he goes, Curtis, I've admired you for years. I'm so proud of you. You know, I know you're from New York City like myself. He goes, and I... I've been following the news. I see what Diane Feinstein is saying about you. You know something? I'm going to call her and let her know she couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. Now, she never apologized, but I never had any more heat. And boy, she was putting heat on. Really putting heat on. So he did me a tremendous solid. And then, uh, oh boy, did I pay him back in the worst possible way. Yankees had finally gotten back into the canyon of heroes, winning the World Series against all odds against the Atlanta Braves in 1996. And I was broadcasting right here on WABC, normal shift, but also the post-post Yankees show because we were the flagship station of the New York Yankees playing the Atlanta Braves. You know, Ted Turner, Jane Fonda, chop-chop. Jimmy Carter, his wife, chop-chop. And boy, first two games... There was a guy, a rookie named Andrew Jones, who's like uh, the black version of Mickey Mantle. He was like hitting bombs, and he was going out there in center field and tracking him down. And even Michael Kay and John Sterling said, it ain't looking good. But I was pumping him up. I even had Ted Turner calling up four in the morning, right, half in the bag. You know, really, it was great radio. But against all odds, we won. And Rudy Giuliani, my Chief was the mayor, and, you know, you cut his veins and arteries. Nobody's a bigger, nobody's a bigger fan. He said, Curtis, uh, I want you to come down to Radio Row. He goes, I said, Rudy, you know, I'm not a sports guy. I do the post-post-post game show. They're going to object to it. If they jumped in, you tell them Rudy Giuliani said you're going to be here in Radio Row. And I show up and, oh... The stairs and glares, I fornicating, mad dogging me. Now, obviously, Rudy was in City Hall. He couldn't throw me a lifeline. But who, to his credit, stood up and did? Francesa, the Pope of WFAA. He said to all the guys and gals moaning and groaning, You got a problem with Curtis? He's my friend. Oh, no, no, my. my. Any friend of Francesa is a friend of ours. And I was able to broadcast on the WABC, ABC network across the nation. And who was on the program but Tony Bennett to sing? It said the national anthem. And instead, he sang America the Beautiful. And I said to myself, oh, no, has he fallen in to the abyss? And he doesn't want to sing some of the words that are in the national anthem because... They're considered too jingoistic, you know, too uh, nationalistic. And so I lampasted him to a national audience. Tony Bennett heard that, and he found me that day at City Hall. But he's a true gentleman. You know, he didn't come with uh, fire coming out of his nostrils. Curtis, what did I do to deserve this? I sang America the Beautiful. I didn't sing the national anthem. I say, Yo, Tony, you know, let's face it. There are words in there you probably wouldn't say because. He you say I'm what? I'm what? I say, you know why I don't sing the national anthem, Curtis? The high notes. I can't afford to crack my voice. I can't hit those high notes any longer. That's why I sing America the Beautiful. Oh, I wanted to impale myself with the WABC microphone to this day. He's never spoken to me again. Never. And so knowing he's impaired now with uh, with dementia and Alzheimer's, he's in a wheelchair. He was last seen being wheeled around Central Park. And my wife, who knows what the, the bad that I did there, uh, the insult that I added to injury, saw on a Citizen's app on an afternoon uh, I had just finished my shift here. She said, get over here. He's in Central Park. I'm running all over the p- boathouse. I'm looking for Tony Bennett. Oh, he was just Run here, Curtis. River. Gone. Somebody had wheeled him out of Central Park. So I, I've yet to ever have the opportunity, knowing these are his waning days, his golden days, to be able to look him in the eye and said, forgive me, Tony, I, I don't want to take this to my grave. I mean, I've insulted a hell of a lot of people in my life. I do it on this station every day, but... What, that was really uncalled for. Inside. And then to hear Vinnie Madugno, earlier today, to tell the story of Tony Bennett, how generous, what a benefactor he is to our public school system, which has been stripped of its music programs, its art programs, its theater programs, its music programs. Wow. Wow. I really felt bad. I want you to listen to Vinny Madunio. He's a rising star here at WABC from Staten Island. He teaches at Port Richmond, arts, music, and media. And wow, surprise, surprise, guess who showed up at Port Richmond High School? Unannounced, no media attention, no fanfare.
5: Do you know which musical icon celebrated a big birthday this week? Let's see if you're you're up on the pop culture.
3: Oh, man, it's right on the tip of my tongue. Yeah,
5: I'm sure. That's like what one of the answers that my students give me when they have no clue, and they're like, mister, I'm trying to bide some time. Any idea? I, I really don't. Hint, he's been seen recently singing with Curtis Sleewa's favorite woman.
3: His favorite woman? His, his
5: wife? No, Lady Gaga. <laughs> oh, Tony Bennett. Oh, there you go. See, you you got that one. Happy 96th to Tony Bennett, right? Um, uh, You know, I, this is pretty cool. One day I was at school working, right? And uh, our school is an Exploring the Arts grant receive um, grant recipient rather from his foundation, right? Uh, him and his wife give money to schools for their arts programs. And wouldn't you know, lo and behold, I'm in my office working one day, and the assistant principal of arts says, uh, hey, come over to the band room. So I go over to the band room, and who's sitting in there? Tony Bennett. Super cool. It was awesome. He visited. He listened to our jazz band play. Really, really great guy. So happy 96, Tony Bennett. It wouldn't be... I, I would be remiss, I think, if we didn't acknowledge his birthday. And in 63, it wouldn't be a good idea to spotlight it without playing one of these ones. I want to be around. What a great song. A little bit of a different vibe. But look at Tony Bennett still around. We're wishing you all the best, brother. Happy birthday from all of us here at Music Radio.
0: I want to be around.
2: Wow. Hey, 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 Play it, man. Play it. Hey, hey, hey. hey come on that place uh, look Minnie maduno said it a lot better than me i mean i just ate up like 50 minutes and he said better in three minutes what i was trying to say to make amends in 50 minutes but he wants to be around he knows let's face it he has to know people who've had alzheimer's and dementia they've done studies and even though they can't communicate It has been proven that they want to communicate. They're thinking things. They just can't emote. They can't express themselves. And I certainly know that on any given day, you know how I live my life, precariously, always on the edge, always ready to take on my next nemesis that, hey, it could all end tomorrow. And I know that. But I want all of you uh, to know the story I just told because... More importantly, there were three, three things that struck me when I think of Tony Bennett and I heard, you know, my father, Chester, who, as you know, is a role model to me, although not Italian, Polish, saying, imagine here you are, Tony Bennett. You got a band. Mitch Miller's your band leader. Bob Hope has discovered you, he's taking you on the road with him. You're looking at fame and fortune and an opportunity that few, if any, have had. And the first thing they tell you, Bob Hope and Mitch Miller. You got to get rid of that last name, man. It's a Guinea name. It's a WAP name. You know, won't play in Peoria. And he had to make a decision because this was a dishonor to his father, Joseph. Joseph, this was a dishonor to his father. And then this is also honoring my grandfather, Fidelo Bianchino. I, I told you moments ago, as he would sit down with his the noblest cigar, his crooked Italian cigar, couldn't read, couldn't write, hard-working man. You shook my grandfather's hand. You knew he was a working man. No calluses on his backside. And he said, one young, fatali fatu, which basically meant, hey, stop what you're doing here. I want to tell you how difficult it's been for Italians. We get called dagos, guineas, wops, shape up for a job, and then they tell us, hey, no work for you guineas today. And then some of us, we have to sing, we have to dance, and they throw coins on the ground like we're monkeys, you know, with the organ grind. Hey, 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 guinea, dance. Uh-huh. Let me see you dance, guinea. And I could see he he was crying inside, although he would never cry. Tough guy, stood up to the mob. But out of all the insults and injuries and coming to America, and he loved this country, never flew an Italian flag, he would always tell me, Curtis, we're here in America. You like Italy? You like Italian flags? Go back to Italy. There'll be 10 people there who want to take your place. We don't fly that flag in our house, only the American flag. But he told me the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I have to believe that Tony Bennett went through a lot of that. Like a lot of you out there listening. And a lot of Americans who don't know the history of Italian Americans. Who up until after World War II were not even considered white people. They were considered the same way that black people were. Insulted in the same manner that black people were. And had to be elevated in the same manner. Imagine to be called... An NWAP. A Guinea N. Right? And so Tony said, that's why I hang out with Louis Armstrong in North Corona, where his house and museum is. And he was criticized for that, but you know something? You're going to call people like Tony Bennett and others like that, then you want them to be that? Well, then they were brothers in solidarity. I mean doesn't get any better than that ladies and gentlemen two queens boys Louis armstrong and north corona across the grand central parkway to the astoria kid anthony benedetto i say your name as you were birthed not as it was truncated to be in show business
1: He knows New York He is New York Cred that the others don't have Curtis Lewa. Talk Radio 77 WABC
0: I like to be in America Okay by me in America Everything free in America For us all be in America okay, I'm so proud.
6: and credit is so nice
7: One look at us and they charge twice
0: I have my own washing machine What will you have though to keep clean? Skyscrapers
6: bloom in America Padalaxoom in America Industry boom in America Well in a
8: room in America <laughs>
6: Lots of new housing with more space
0: Lots of doors slamming in our face
6: I'll get a terrace apartment
0: Better get rid of your accent
6: Life can be bright in America
0: If you can fight in America
6: Life is all right in America
8: If you're right white in America
2: yeah. What a great song from West Side Story The original one, not the Spielberg knockoff That was filmed in the streets of Patterson. Uh, I know. I saw it with the Guardian Angels as we patrol the first uh, ward, the fourth ward, up the hill, down the hill. Obviously, Spielberg used the area because it's like abandoned. And it was a hell of a lot cheaper to film there than here in New York City, old San Juan Hill, which is where Lincoln Center is at, was the basis for the uh, entire movie. And then eventually the battle jets and sharks, the whites, uh, white ethnics being jets, the sharks being the Puerto Ricans. But the song says a lot. I don't know if uh, they would allow a song like that to be made. They would consider it so politically incorrect. All the snowflakes out there. "Oh, Oh, it's so racist. It's so racist. But it was so true then. And it is so true now, now that we see the invasion. It's taking place down at our border. And uh, I've had the opportunity to be down at the border between California and uh, Mexico and Texas and Mexico. I spent a lot of time there. A lot of time between Juarez on the Mexican side, which is where everybody wanted to go at one point. It can't anymore because the narco-terrorists will hang people right from the bridges with signs on it in their ongoing battles internally. Mexican on Mexican, right there, right in the the face of El Paso. And you see them at times hanging from the bridge that Americans would take to go into Juarez and that Mexicans would take to come into America. Many of them working, many of them shopping in El Paso. Nueva Laredo and Laredo. Laredo is where all the truck traffic, most of it comes through. There's a bridge and the Rio Grande is underneath and every truck gets stopped. And the dogs go sniffing, and they try to go through the containers. But they can check every square inch, and that's where illegals sometimes hide in the wheel wells of 18-wheel tractor trailers. I actually saw the Migre, Immigration and Naturalization Service agents, extract two young Mexican teenagers from the wheel well of an 18-wheel tractor trailer. Can you imagine? They were going round and round and round and round. As the truck approached, you know, years back, the Mexican truck drivers, they would come across and they would have to unplug their rig. And then American Teamsters would drive it the rest of the way after uh, NAFTA. uh, They drive the truck all the way through. And I mean the fentanyl that is coming through from Mexico, the illegals that are coming through. We only learn part of what is going on. But they're all coming to America. And... uh, all of a sudden, some people have just discovered this problem. Uh, Mayor, the swagger man who has no plan, Eric Adams, shock. There are illegal aliens in New York City. There's a million. Easily a million. I mean, I don't check papers because they don't have to show you papers and they know it. I don't need to show you my stinking papers. This is its sanctuary city. And it's been a sanctuary city long before... Under Ed Koch, we became a sanctuary city. And, yes, Rudy was mayor of a sanctuary city. And Bloomberg, and de Blasio, and Adams, and Pataki, the last Republican governor, was a governor of a sanctuary state. And every governor uh, thereafter. And when you look at uh, New Jersey, uh, whether the last Republican governor being Shavu, El Jefe, Chris Christie, or Corazine, or McGreevy, before that, they were in charge of a sanctuary state. So let's let's not act like this is anything new. We have been welcoming illegal aliens, and online has been the Roman Catholic Church. They are the number one people encouraging illegal aliens to come. Because why? Most from Central America, South America are Catholics. At least they were birthed and baptized Catholic. And when you look at Catholic churches on Sundays. Mm-hmm, You could roll a bowling ball through uh, some of them and not hit parishioners. But, boy, you put the Spanish-language masses filled to the rafters. So it isn't so much that they want to do what Jesus would do. They want to get people back in the pews or those churches and parishes are going to be closed. So there's this unholy cabal between the Roman Catholic hierarchy... And uh, democratic elected officials to act like they don't know what's going on at the border. Give you an example. I have guardian angels in Italy in seven cities. Why? Because of all the illegal aliens that have come in, mostly from North Africa, and the crime that has resulted. Do you know if they go knocking on the door of the Vatican, which is an independent state, an independent country, you know what the Vatican tells them? You can't come in here. Sorry. Uh, you can't come in here. Oh, well, why not open up the doors? Uh, because they are fake, phony, fraudulent forgazes, all of them. And so here it is. We have Papa Papa Chulo Joe Biden, right, who, uh, in defiance of Trump, you wanted to show that he was different than Trump. He was like uh, Martinez. Remember the Boston Red Sox picture against the Yankees saying, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy, right? So he's at the border. Hey, who's your daddy? I'm your Papi Chulo here. Every newspaper in Central America, full-page coverage, El Diario, every TV station. Come, come, andale, andale. And then you had Giggles, Vice President Harris. <laughs> She's supposed to be the czarina, right, dealing with the emergency at the border. Won't go to the border. Won't go to the border. He said, "Police, come. <laughs> no, Sorry. I can I can do everything from Washington D.C. We'll f- we'll fly a drone over. I'll watch from a drone. And so Governor Abbott, who has to deal with this to the tune of millions and millions of dollars out of the state treasury, in order to do what the federal government is not willing to do, as uh, Governor Ducey in Arizona, because Governor Newsom in California, who wants to be president over my dead body, and wants the Democratic nomination. And remember, California is a sanctuary state. He's the one at the border there that separates Tijuana from San Diego going, underlay, underlay. He's got the uh, Indianapolis 500 uh, checkerboard flag encouraging them to come through. So each state on the border has dealt with it differently. California is a sanctuary state. They say, hey, come on in. And boy, have they come on in. And then you have uh, Arizona, which has said, we can't, we can't, no longer. No longer. And Texas, the same thing. And our federal administration, unlike Donald Trump, when he was uh, president, he put his foot down and he said, hey, you want to come for asylum? You're the victim of domestic abuse, totalitarian dictatorships, threats on your life, MS-13, whatever. You'll stay on the Mexican side and you'll get your asylum hearing, but you'll stay there until we give you a hearing here now you can imagine this now under uh papi chulo joe biden everybody comes across and they give you a ticket and they say oh matt blaze where are you from matt blaze happens to be from serbia he's taking a flight to mexico city and then taking the el mexicano bus service up to the border and you come across and they say oh matt blaze oh you're from serbia uh, they don't ask you anything, and you don't even have to show paperwork. Okay, so we're going to put you uh, on a bus, and you're going to go, well, where do you want to go? And so naturally, if you're a Serbian, you say, I don't know, let's spin the wheel. I'm just happy to be in America. In a year's time, you have to come to immigration court to seek uh, permanent asylum, because, you know, you've been saying, oh, man, you know, I, I grew up under Milosevic, the, the butcher of the Balkans, and I'm... I'm incontinent, I'm impotent now, I have nightmares at night. Okay, uh, the border, save it for the asylum judge a year from now. But you can practice your lines in between. You know, go for method acting classes. Now, you think Matt Blazon's going to show up at the asylum here? A year later, once he's integrated into the fabric of America, he's got a job, he has a place to live. If he can't afford to find a place to live, if he can't afford... Uh, the opportunity of getting a job, we put them up at taxpayers' expense. We give you food. We give you clothing. We give you Medicaid. And, yes, we give you an identity card that we never ask you for to show. And then we want you to register to vote, because one day we know that day is coming, that you, Matt Blaze, even though you're an illegal from Serbia... That we Democrats are going to make sure you can vote as an illegal because you're going to thank us. You're going to say, "Evil Republicans, they try to keep me out." I'll I'll remember. Oh, oh, what party affiliation do you want to sign up for? Democrats, of course. So this is what's going on down at the border, and now there are thousands, tens of thousands every day. So who decided to put his two cents in because it's a photo opportunity? Eric Adams, the swagger man who has no plan. Now, basically, it started out that Abbott and Ducey they were just sending illegals that came across the border to Washington, D.C. They basically said, Go to Washington, D.C. You think that's Papa Chulo there, Joe Biden. You think he welcomes you. See if he'll invite you to the White House. And they drop them off in Washington, D.C. Now, they already know where they're going. These folks have cell phones. What do well, you think? They're little poor peasants without a nickel to their name? Look at the clothes they're wearing. They got maps. They got GPS. They know where they're going. And by the way, if they don't have a cell phone, they already know they can ask for an Obama phone at the border. And we give it to them and give them a year's worth of service. So Eric Adams decided to weigh in. They were all going to Washington. And he was saying, what are you talking about? We got 3,000 in our shelter system. 3,000 in a city of 1 million illegal aliens. Somehow we've survived with a million illegal aliens. But 3,000 is a burden to the shelter system. And so naturally he wanted help from Joe Biden, Papa Chulo. He hasn't gotten any. So now he's blaming Abbott and he's blaming Ducey. And actually, Abbott and Ducey, what are you talking about? We've got to deal with this mess every day. You don't seem to care about us. I thought this is the United States. So maybe you should share some of the illegals because you're a sanctuary city, right? So now remember, if you're Eric Adams or crime wave Kathy Holcomb uh, or you're a Democrat, you're torn because you can't say no. You got to say yes because you want to continue the sanctuary status. You've already told ICE, Migre Immigration and Naturalization, you thugs. We're not going to cooperate with you. When you come in with a retainer because one of these illegals is wanted for a major crime, rape, robbery, selling drugs, gangbanging, we're not going to cooperate, tough noogies. No, 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 but we're the federal authorities, you know, and taxpayers pay for what we do. We're risking our life every day. When we leave our house as members of ICE, started, I might add, after the attack of 9-11 to root out the terrorists in the future. We put on a bulletproof vest. Does that tell you how difficult the job is? Yeah, you yeah, thugs. We're not going to cooperate with you. We'd rather cooperate with MS-13, 18th Street, Trinitarios. How crazy is this? I mean, how nuts? Imagine if you were an illegal alien and you're observing all of this. They're fighting for us. They're fighting over which area wants us to. They want to give us food and clothes and shelter and Medicaid and snaps and food stamps. And they want to give us free college education. And they want our kids to go to their public schools, even though the suckers I mean the taxpayers, they pay the property taxes, and we pay Ugats. And then the Democrats, they make it seem like we're the tired, we're the poor. Look at some of the clothes they're wearing coming across the border. <laughs> Boy, some of them are playing us for suckers, and rightfully so. Because we've opened ourselves to be taken advantage of, and they're coming now from all over the world. All over the world. It's not just the Latinos and Latinas from Central America, South America, the West Indies, and the Caribbean. They're coming from the continent of Africa. They're pouring in from Asia. Some across the border, and some in the bowels of ships. In fact, some of you notice in all this debate about the illegals pouring into our city, nobody has mentioned the Golden Venture of 1993. A cargo container ship that had traveled four months at sea with hundreds of illegal aliens stowed away in the bowels of the ship who were Chinese and had it not hit a sandbar and moored just off the shore from where Sid Rosenberg lives now in Bell Harbor at Fort Tilden, we would have never known because they had to swim to shore. In fact, they would have just gone into the port of Newark, Port of Elizabeth, and they would have gotten out. And next thing you know, thousands more of illegal aliens from Asia. They're coming in all different directions. But Eric Adams is upset because a few few hundred have come in on the Greyhound. In fact, earlier today, he was manning the barricades there. 7 a.m. in the morning, he was saying, hey, we're going to set up a barricade. We're not letting any more of these illegal aliens come through here. Although, obviously, I'm in a tough position here because I have to accept the of the poor. Just like the Statue of Liberty says in the harbor, the gift from the French people. So it's 7 in the morning. The Greyhound bus arrives from Texas, sent by DeSantis. It started out with 40 illegal aliens, and then it ended up with just 14 there. And all the media that was assembled there said, "Uh, Mr. Mayor, there's only 14 of the illegals. The bus driver says that they were jumping out all along the way because they didn't want to come to New York City. There was too much crime. Because, yeah, they, they get media there. You know, they're not living in caves. They get Telemundo, Univision. They see what's going on in New York City. And they say, you know some, Why don't you leave me off here in Paramus? Uh, I got some family here. Oh, you know, Hackensack. I- I'll stop here. No, no, don't take me through the Lincoln Tunnel. Please, don't take me. Send me back to my country of origin. Not to fear city, New York City. But the mayor, realizing how embarrassing it was, said, you know what it must have been? They were afraid that the federal authorities would be here. ICE, Limigre, Immigration and Naturalization Service. No, you schmuck. They're the ones who put him on the bus. God, this guy doesn't know what's going on. And then remember, thank God, Rob Astorino, when he was running for the uh, GOP nomination for governor, he would take cameras out there to Westchester County Airport at 2 in the morning. All of a sudden, jets are flying in like it's nonstop. You know, they're backed up, backed up, belly to belly. It's like a, a traffic jam. Uh, the, uh, the air traffic controllers were having to slow down the jet traffic at our expense. And here they are. Oh, they're, they're, they're children. No, they weren't children. They were adults. They're putting them on buses. And you know where those buses were going, Matt place? as if the mayor didn't know? Some of them were going down the hutch. The Hutchinson Parkway, which buses are not supposed to go, but they had the whistles, the bells, uh, they had federal authorities that were escorting them in cars, and they went down the Hutch. Next stop, over the Throgs Neck Bridge, a hundred and third, right at the square under the Seven Bridge in Corona, and all of a sudden they dis- they parted Elmhurst, Jackson Heights, throughout the city, thousands. Eric Adams didn't know that. He didn't know that. Joe Biden was doing that. He had no idea that federal authorities were doing it. Why didn't he call up ICE? Oh, because they're thugs. You know, they're worse than the gangbangers themselves. MS-13, 18th Street, Trinity. I'm not going to call ICE. Now he doesn't know what to do. <laughs> it's sort of like, I got to accept them. We're a sanctuary city. But how do I say, no mas, no mas? Joe Papachulo, Joe, well, can you send out some money? Joe's too busy in the basement there, you know, in Delaware, the beach house. Going, I shot my wad. There's no more money to send. You know, I can't print the money anymore. Too much stimulus money. Hey, look, mansion. He just uh, located. Look at it. That's it. There's no more money for the illegals. You're on your own, Eric Adams. Any doesn't mean Eric Adams is on his own. We, the sucker taxpayers, are going to have to find... You know where they're going to put the illegals on? Hotels. Hotel accommodations. Yes. We're going to change... Um, we're going to change the sheets every day. We're going to come to your door. We're going to find out what you want for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And we're going to make sure that you have transportation to a doctor's office, to uh, a Lemigre lawyer... And to take care of whatever needs you have. Can you imagine if you're an illegal alien? Why would you not come to New York? You could stay at a hotel in Times Square. You get three hots and a cot. Pretty damn good bed. You don't even have to clean the room. They send in people, the maintenance people, to clean the room. They give you Metro cards to ride around on the subway. And it's like at the end of the Super Bowl when they ask the winning team... What are you going to do after the Super Bowl? I'm going to Disney World. This is Disney World for the illegal aliens at our tax dollars' expense. Could I hear our mayor moaning and groaning about this earlier today as he was so embarrassed outside of the Port Authority of New York as a bus showed up from Texas? They had 40 when they left. They only had 14 because the other illegals were jumping off along the way in Hackensack and in Paramus telling the bus driver, what do you think, we're crazy? You think we're loco? We're not going to New York City. We might get mugged.
4: It's unimaginable uh, that what uh, the governor of Texas has done, when you think about this country, a country that has always been open uh, to those who were fleeing uh, persecution and other uh, uh, intolerable conditions, uh, we've always welcomed that. And this governor is not doing that in Texas. But we are going to set the right message, the right tone of being here for these families.
2: Well, is it? We're a sanctuary city. Definition of a sanctuary city, a city whose municipal laws protect undocumented immigrants from deportation or prosecution despite federal immigration law. So if you are an illegal alien and you're looking at your GPS... You know, they have it actually on the map, which are the many sanctuary cities. That's where you want to go. Who the hell wouldn't want to go to New York? Except now it's Crime Central. So I'll stay in the immediate area. Hey, you think you could take me to Perth Amboy, huh? Oh, yeah, South Amboy. You imagine telling the bus driver, you know, since you're you're already giving me all kinds of services here that I could never, ever earn in my lifetime in my country of origin... You think you could drop me off off the uh, New Jersey Turnpike, exit nine, and then I'll hitchhike the rest of the way. And the next thing I, you know, yeah, Atlantic City, here I come. Can you give me chips? Maybe I can gamble also at the Borgata. Isn't it great to be in America? Think about it. We were talking about Tony Bennett in the last hour. We were talking about his father, Benedetto. We were talking about Mario Cuomo's father. We were talking about my grandfather. They all came to America. They had to have a sponsor. When it came to Ellis Island, they were called WAPs, Dagos, Guineas. There were pejorative remarks. They didn't want Italians in America. They said, we have too many WAPs, Dagos, and Guineas. But you didn't set a foot into America unless you had a sponsor who said, if Fidelio Bianchino does not pay his debts, does not feed his family, does not take care of his children and his wife, I, sponsor, will take full responsibility. If not... They put you on a boat and ship your butt back to where you came from. Was that in your, was that in your main? Oh, yeah, there were some boat jumpers oh, along the way. They jumped out before they got into the port of New York or Bayonne or Hoboken or Brooklyn. In fact, by the way, Matt Blaze, you may want to go every Friday night. They have a meeting of the boat jumpers in Garfield, New Jersey. Men who say, oh, yeah, uh... My grandfather knew he didn't have the papers, he didn't have a sponsor, so outside of the Port of Bayonne, he jumped out and he swam ashore. Boat jumpers. Our number is one 800 but this was the warning from Governor Abbott, who seems to be getting a vicarious thrill. As, as Eric Adams, as the mayor in Washington, and other mayors who are sanctuary cities seem to be squirming,
3: and they're a bunch of hypocrites. Uh, they're fine with illegal immigration flooding across our borders and the crisis caused by the Biden administration, as long as it stays down in Texas. As
2: long as it stays down in Texas, they're absolutely right. And then, on with Jesse Waters the other night, looking at all the moaning and groaning of Democrats, especially urban big city mayors and governors of northern states.
4: We have not communicated with the other border states on, on why they're doing it. It's wrong to send people out of your state.
2: Uh, that was Eric Adams. That's fine. That's fine, Matt please. Uh You know, I'll give you a few uh, demerit points for that. Uh, let's play Governor Abbott, who was on with Jesse Waters on the Fox News channel, because he really did extrapolate about what is transpiring and what is taking place. But then again, I guess... Uh, You're consumed with your uh, mourning over the fact that Frank Morano has not yet returned from Greece, and it'll be another morning away. Our number is 1-800-848-9222.
1: Talk Radio 77 WABC. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. You can't compete against that. On 77 WABC.
2: Oh, Matt Blaze, you seem to be having the Jones. You know, you have gone through cold turkey. Frank Morano won't be able to rejoin you because he's too busy on what he says is the Ernie Anastos yacht off the Greek uh, islands. Him and the uh, Eric Adams Republican, his best man, he didn't choose me, Joe Borelli. They claim that they couldn't fly back from Greece on Friday because of the inclement weather. I didn't see one raindrop. He was supposed to be here, right? For this morning shift after Dominic Carter. And then all of a sudden he goes, well, I'm extending my vacation. Yeah, hipsters and millennials. You know, you know what a work ethic is? This is not work. This is a gift to be given this microphone. Work. Tony Bennett's father... Ran a grocery store. That's work. Mario Cuomo's father in South Jamaica ran a grocery store. That's work. My father, Chester, merchant mariner for 54 years. That's work. This is nothing. It's like, not, oh, we work so hard. Yeah, you work. You grow barnacles on your backside. You spew your rhetoric, and they pay you to do it. My God, Gloria Haleoski, hallelujah. They pay you to do exactly what I did in the park, feeding the pigeons, mumbling to myself when people said, you know, that Sliwa guy, he's a little box, you know, listen to what he's saying on radio. Oh, oh, he's a great orator. Oh, oh, my God. Anyway, I am very disappointed in our listeners here, how quickly they forget. June of 1993. There were a lot of immigration men on the shores of Rockaway Beach, the Irish Riviera, because a cargo container ship called, what was it called? Come on, you don't remember the Golden Venture? Rudy was mayor. It had gone 17,000 miles from its first port of call in Bangkok, picked up illegals along the way in Kenya, four months at sea with stowaways. All 300 had to pay $35,000 a head in order to be smuggled into the United States. And at 2 a.m. in the morning, it hit a sandbar off Fort Tilden, and many of them struggled ashore. It was a red Chinese ship smuggling hundreds of illegal Chinese aliens who ran aground and the Rockaways ran ashore. And they were detained as asylum seekers. Well, whatever happened to them? They all got in. None of them were detained and deported. None of them were vetted out because we're a sanctuary city. They hit the lotto. They hit Powerball. Nobody asked them for papers. You can't do that. You know, our police are strapped. If you stop Diego and Jose and they got 72-inch big-screen TVs in the back of their van, right? And they got no license, they got no registration, no documentation. You can't do anything to them. Are you aware of that? Do do you understand, people, in our tri-state area, we are a sanctuary area. Our law enforcement is not permitted to demand identification. All you have to do is say, no, I'll play English. Sorry, can't touch them. Give them a, well, we can't give them a desk appearance, disappearance ticket, because they don't have ID. You think maybe we should vet them through ICE, immigration and naturalization? You think that maybe some of them might be wanted terrorists, pedophiles, rapists, narco-terrorists? You think some of them may be bringing fentanyl into the country, killing Americans on a regular basis? Hey, let's let's deal with ICE. No, because Andrew evilized Cuomo. He began the war against ICE. And what did he call ICE? We have not communicated with the
4: other border states. On my on my my. You know, <laughs> New <laughs> York state is the, is the state. state that says we will not cooperate with ICE. There are a bunch of thugs. He politicized ICE. There are a bunch of thugs. We said we will sue them if they violate any criminal laws in the state of New York.
2: Avery, what are we going to do with this guy, Matt Place? It's like purposely sabotaging this role here. I think it's on purpose, yeah. I say, Andrew Cuomo, He plays Adams. I say Abbott, he plays Adams. I realize I am obsessed with the swagger man with no plan. But, you know, there are sometimes Matt plays, I leave the mayor alone. There are enough other people to pick on.
0: <laughs>
2: so, anyway, uh, one final note before we go to the calls. The Golden Venture came ashore. How many of these container ships are coming from China. You know, we recently were at Ferryhawks Stadium uh, for the game, the Ferryhawks uh, versus the Lancaster Amish, who turned out to be all Dominicans. I didn't know they were Dominican Amish. You know, they put up the barns by day, the women, they sell the uh, cakes, uh, and they came to play the Ferryhawks at night. That was a great game. That was uh, primarily why people were there. Before that, we had the WABC All-Stars versus the NYPD and their ringers, four of whom I guarantee you were from the Sing Sing prison camp softball team. But if we, when you were sitting there, I counted four. Count them, four cargo container ships that were coming through the Arthur Kill, the Kill Van Call. My father taught me all about that years ago when he would come in and out of the port of New York to the tank farms in Staten Island. You wait up in queue in the Straits of the Verrazano. You can watch it as you go over the Verrazano Bridge. How many of those ships going to the port of Newark and Elizabeth, the cargo container ships, are filled with stowaways, mostly Chinese, and fentanyl? And even though customs will stop and they'll do spot checks, they can't check all the containers. Commerce would come to a complete halt. There has to be a better way, ladies and gentlemen, because illegals are coming in all different ways. You would think the most porous border, Canada, right? There is no barriers in parts of Canada. You can walk over from Canada to the United States. You're in Butte, Montana. I say you look like one of the illegal aliens. Yeah, you speak English? No. It, it, Where are you from? None of your business. Oh, that's right. We can't ask you. I mean, you can just walk across. There are so many places they have the shacks for immigration and naturalization. They've abandoned them, both on the Canadian side and the American side. But they don't come through those ports of call. Some, they come mostly uh, vis-a-vis the Mexican border and vis-a-vis by stowing away in ships. I ask all of you, whatever happened to the illegal aliens who came ashore from the Golden Venture that hit the sandbar right off the shore from where our own Sid Rosenberg lives today out in Bell Harbor. Look, nobody, right, Avery? Nobody knows, nobody cares because they just filtered into society. It was a two-page headline, and then they scattered into the United States. Some of them are probably doing quite well. They now own businesses. They're hardworking people. Some of them are probably uh, running illegal uh, Chinese uh, gambling games in the basements uh, of businesses and flushing in Sunset Park and in Chinatown. Others others may be into white-collar crime. Others may be doing extraordinarily well as white-collar businessmen and businesswomen. But we don't know because we don't know who they are. No way they bothered to get their identification and information. We just said, well, welcome to America. They just, like like dust in the wind, just went in a million different directions. Not one person, not one person, all the people out in the Irish Riviera, in Bell Harbor, in the Ponset, they're out there, Reese Park. There in Rockaway Playland, Rockaway Beach. Lou, who's our board operator of the morning show with Bernard McGurk and Sid Rosenberg. You don't want to miss it. The number one news talk program in the mornings in the nation, not just here in the tri state area. Nobody. Not even Lou. Oh, I don't know. I live here in the Rockaways. Yeah, the Golden Venture. Yeah, there are a lot of Golden Ventures out there. Let's go to uh, April, who's calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, April.
6: Hi. Hi, Curtis. You know, I hear all this, what you're saying, and I'm wondering, uh, the, uh, the illegal aliens, no matter what country they're coming from, are the jobs being created for them, or are these jobs that are already waiting for people to take and no one's taken them? I mean... If someone's looking for a job, they have to fill out applications and they, you know, there's a lot of stuff. Do they not even have to fill out an application? The job's just waiting for them. And do they have to pay rent when they get into the Section 8 housing? Or
2: April, they April, rent either? there are three levels of the workers. And in many instances, the Mexicans, El Salvadorians, Guatemalans, Hondurans who come from Central America, like my grandfather, The southern Italians who were considered the worker bees because people up in the north of Italian considered themselves better than the southern Italians who were ditch diggers uh, like my grandfather who made ice, uh, you know, who did the real hard labor like Mexicans, El Salvadorians, Guatemalans and Hondurans. So some of them come over because they are from uh, villages where their friends or relatives are already working, let's say, in our tri-state area. And they say, hey. We got jobs for you here in Bayonne, as long as you can get here. So that's one way. The other way is they come and they join the massive numbers of men and women who show up at 5 o'clock in the morning before the sun comes up. And they wait as day laborers and they work a full day. And I got to tell you, April, these folks work hard. My three sons would never do any of the work that they do. And they'll get like $80, $100 a day, and they get a box lunch. And there's no record of it. There's no payroll taxes. And a lot of the people who pick them up in their vans and their pickup trucks and their cars are the very people who say, no, put the walls up. uh, Put the fences up. But, hey, I'll take advantage of the fact that I can pick up a few day laborers, and it'll cost me nothing for them to do the work that their own sons and daughters and relatives and fully grown Americans won't do. That's the third way. And then the fourth way is like in any society, you got your hustlers. They have cell phones, they watch TV, even in third world countries, they know how to manipulate the system. They have relatives who have manipulated the system. Some of them are gangbangers MS 13, 18th Street, which is the Mexican gang, Trinitarios. Some of them come as part of narco terrorism, some of them come as part of the human sex trafficking. In which they keep underage girls in these tenements. Law enforcement knows about them. They're being sold as prostitutes. You see them right there. I can't tell you how many times in Jackson Heights, Corona, Elmhurst, and Queens, you got these guys on the corner giving you out chicky cards, chicky cards, which are these voluptuous white models who are nude, like six foot two stacked. And they say, hey, you'll get a massage and, you know, prostitution. You go to the tenement where they're basically chained and shackled and drugged, and it's a four-foot-eight Guatemalan girl who has been taken into prostitution. Our federal authorities want to bust it, but our local authorities won't permit law enforcement to work with ICE, La Migra, Immigration and Naturalization Service, who track these people. It makes me want to cry, April, that these people are being recruited into a form of indentured servitude, slavery, ICE, and Lemigra can help stop it, and our elected officials won't permit the police to work hand-in-hand with them to prevent it.
6: Our, our congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, how come she is, like, spending all of her great energy She could do a lot instead of what she's doing. If she could use her energy and turn, even though I'm not for anything she believes in, but her energy is all in the wrong place. She could do a lot and care about women and the the poor women who are being turned into, you know, sex slaves.
2: Oh, I I can't tell you. April, April, I go past tenements, specifically in Corona, Elmhurst, and Jackson Heights, where we patrol. I look at some of the houses, and I look at all the garbage outside. I said, it's impossible that they generated that much garbage. And we go in there. And you see the subdivided apartments where there should be one apartment. Landlords who are getting paid incredible amounts of money in cash. All of these people have to pay cash every week. Have turned what is normally one apartment into eight apartments. And they put doors and locks up. And then they steal electricity, and they have like 52 satellite dishes aimed high in the sky. You say, how can there be 52 satellite dishes on what used to be an eight-family house? You think that maybe the Department of Buildings, Eric Ulrich, should be going in there and inspecting it instead of getting paid off to ignore it? And I'm not sure you going to blame Eric Ulrich, who is the new... Uh, The new commissioner of the Department of Buildings, this has been going on in perpetuity. Do you know how many illegals are stuffed into basements illegally where they're breathing in the exhaust? They're living in basements illegally. They are like 12 subdivided apartments in there. Nobody. Oh, I don't see anything. And then the landlords or whoever is the. Manager of the property, because a lot of these uh, landlords, you know, the absentee landlords, you want to find the landlords? They're living down in Delray, Florida. And the law says that they have to let you in to inspect. If I had become mayor... They'd be kicking indoors, and I would be leading them to all of these illegal, subdivided apartments where the sex trafficking is taking place, the drug dealing is taking place, and the hardworking illegals who come in here and have to work are being exploited. Every week, they've got to pay a rent. It's got to be in cash. Well, guess what? They get kicked out into the streets. Oh, a tenant landlord court Not for the illegal aliens. The, uh... Usually a thug who represents uh, the landlord says, hey, Jose, we're changing the locks. Get the hell out of here. Jose doesn't complain because he's illegal. He just says, I got to get work. Shows up at 4 o'clock instead of 5 o'clock and prays to the lady of Guadalupe, the blessed mother, that they might get picked up for work that day. It is really a struggle for survival, but there are a lot of people out there who exploit this system and they have to be stopped. The Eric Adams of the world. Who are they vilifying? Ice? ICE, is thugs? No, ICE protects illegals from the bad illegals who prey on them. Who are members of MS13, 18th Street Trinitarios, the drug dealers, the pimps. Everything's convoluted. ICE are heroes. You hear any? Do you hear any of the elected officials, including Republicans, saying that? Have we had a day of recognition for the ICE officers who risk their life every day? It's a computer-generated retainer, and they get to, at the rap sheet. Okay, you got to go find this guy from Nigeria. God, oh, my God, he raped four people in his own family. Got to bring him in. And they go in, and they bring him in, and guess what? If he happens to be in a state Supreme Court or a municipal court on other charges— it is incumbent upon local law enforcement and the criminal justice system and the district attorneys to alert ICE, and they choose not to do it. And he gets cut loose, and he goes back out to do it again and again and again. Yeah, Kathy Hochul talking about that? You hear Eric Adams talking about that? You hear Papa Chulo Joe Biden talking about that? You hear giggles. <laughs> Vice President Harris talking about that. I thought she's the czarina. Put me in charge of it. I know the good, the bad, the ugly. Protect the hardworking ones who are here. Look, if, if I was on the other side of the world, I'd be doing everything I can to get into the United States. I would not want to live in the hovels of the third world countries that I've lived in. I understand that. But you got to chafe the wheat. You got to keep Those who are here to exploit America, to rob, steal, and cheat, and they mostly do it to their own.
0: WABC. He knows
1: New York. He is New York. Cred that
2: the others don't have.
1: Curtis Lewa. Talk Radio 77. WABC.
2: Relax, Matt Blaze. Relax, Avery. Yeah. Relax, you brown-nosed producer of the Frank Morano Show Missing in Action, Alex. The invasion is uh, definitely in full effect, but Bad Bunny happens to be a Puerto Rican. Puerto Ricans are Americans by birth. I am so tired of hearing so many of you disparage Puerto Ricans as being illegal aliens because they fly a Puerto Rican flag, huh? Do I disparage you if you fly an Italian flag, huh? No, because you're Americans. Puerto Ricans by birth, if you've ever visited the commonwealthy the island, San Juan, you see the military cemetery, the single solitary slabs. Do you know in the history of combat in the United States, Puerto Ricans per capita per person have volunteered in greater numbers, have suffered more casualties than many of the other ethnic and racial groups. And they never get their due, never get their recognition. And I see people say, oh, those illegal aliens. Puerto Ricans, man, they are Americans by birth. And boy, I get into some heated arguments over there. You they're all the same. What do you mean they're all the same? What are you talking about? They've earned their right 10 times over as Americans. They've sacrificed their lives in battle. They came here to New York, to Philly, to Boston, and they worked in the sweatshops. And they moved on up like so many other Americans. And now, at one time, they were the majority of the Hispanics in New York City. <laughs> no more. You go to the Bronx, right? Used to be Little San Juan. Nope. It's Little Santiago, DR. And they'll be replaced by the Mexicans and the Central Americans who are moving in. It's all part of the growth and the development of America. But please, the next time you malign Puerto Ricans and you call them illegal aliens, shame on you. That's a shanda. That is a disgraciada. Anyway, let's go, if we can, to uh, David, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Dave.
3: Hi, Curtis. Thank you very much for what you just said about Puerto Ricans. I served in the U.S. Navy, and I served with people from all walks of life and from all over the planet. And I didn't know about the statistic about more Puerto Ricans have served and and bled and were killed in combat serving our great republic. So I want to say for everybody, as you just said, who criticizes Puerto Ricans for hanging their flag out, well— Let's just say that maybe we might enjoy watching Jerry Seinfeld show, but they didn't have to do that in the last episode of the show. Be that as it may, I wanted to also share with you, good sir, that it was Chris Christie when he was U.S. Attorney under George W. Bush who, when he said the words, being in the United States of America without proper documentation is not a crime. The only trouble was when he said those words, There were four uh, teenagers who were murdered in Newark that very evening. Three were murdered. One was almost murdered. And she testified against the illegal aliens who were killing them because they were black. Two of the illegal aliens, one was on parole, or I should say one was on uh, bail for child rape. He was from Peru, if I'm not mistaken. There is a definite disconnect with the communist media, I repeat myself. And I wish to encourage everybody listening. Just because somebody claims to be a Republican does not mean they're squat. They're, as you would say, Curtis, God bless you, they are Jack Dilly squat. They now, don't do now it, they
2: I want to add on to what you said because it was very cogent, very poignant. I remember it well. It was in a schoolyard. Uh, these young African-Americans were home from Delaware State. I believe it's the same university that Chris Christie went to or Joe Biden. I may be a little confused there, but they were coming back from Delaware. They were enjoying themselves in the schoolyard, and members of MS-13 were sent in to execute them as part of the initiation. Uh, Cory Booker was the mayor at that time. It's no, there's no MS-13 in Newark, you liar. And so the guy from the New York Post, no, excuse me, the Newark Star-Ledger, Dave, goes to one of the houses where the guy is living, and his grandmother lets the reporter in from the Newark Star-Ledger, and he goes, is it okay if I, I look at the, the screenshot on his computer? She says, of course. It was the symbol of MS-13. These were hardcore MS-13 gangbangers who were looking to execute African-Americans. And Cory Booker didn't want to acknowledge that. Oh no, no, no. Don't want to malign them. So it wouldn't even defend the African-Americans of his own city who were ex- summarily executed as part of a gang initiation of uh, MS-13. Yeah, Corey, you want to run for president over my dead body? Hey, you got another boo out there? Well, you got a boo. Yeah, boo-boo. Corey Booker. Oh, my God. So soft, so weak. Let's go to Bob, who's calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bob.
4: Yeah, Curtis, hi. I thought your uh,
7: tribute there to Tony Bennett was really well done. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I'm a Bades, my family's Bades, and I know you have some Bades blood in you, but, uh, and I know how hard those um, Italians and, and other groups that came here from Europe worked to uh, support their families and all. But I, I thought you uh, you more than redeemed yourself with that wonderful wonderful tribute to uh, Tony Bennett and uh I read recently a fairly long article in ARP magazine, I'm retired, uh, about his condition with the Alzheimer's. And uh, it was uh, disheartening. You know, it's a shame. Um, Well, let me
2: tell you something, Bob. In addition uh, to myself, Cindy Adams dedicated her column in the Sunday New York Post. Cindy Adams, a colleague of ours on WABC. You can hear her Saturdays uh, from 1 to 2. Hmm, let me see. I got my configuration right. I oh, don't know. Sundays from 1 to 2. see, I've worked so many days and I don't mind working them. Uh, that Sunday from 1 to 2 before the Queen of Radio, uh, who uh, then comes on from 2 to 3. Uh, oh, man. They've had some great interviews of late. You know, Cindy Adams uh, was interviewing uh, last Sunday was absolutely incredible. Cindy Adams, at 92, was interviewing the leader of KISS, the fan club, Simmons. You know, and she asked him how long his tongue was. Nobody else would ask him that. Can you imagine Cindy Adams? And then Joan Hamburg, who followed, did a great interview about Harvey Weinstein with Ken Aletta. And then I followed, and I said, man, how do, how do I keep up with that? So they may be old like myself. They're up in years. But boy, they got their finger on the pulse. And I did that tribute to Tony Bennett because I did disparage him. And our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis and Margot Katsimatidis, suggested that I do the special tribute uh, tonight, Sunday at 9. And I, I, I jumped at the opportunity because I don't think now... He is in a position where I could approach him and do my mea copas, my mea copas, my mea maxima copas, because boy, that was very insulting. Very insulting. Anyway, let's go to John in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here. at WABC, John.
7: Hey, Curtis. Uh, Thanks for taking my call.
2: Um, You remember
7: when Malcolm X called black Democrats, chumps and race traitors. Yep. Uh, Thank you. So, Uh, When I listen to Eric Adams, you know, get get his panties in a bunch, it reminds me of uh, Snoop Dogg. Uh, He did the same thing. Now, Snoop Dogg is in the gang life, and he knows that in Los Angeles, the illegal gangs firebomb black homes. Malcolm X's grandson was murdered by Mexican gangs with with baseball bats. Okay, so when are black people going to finally wake up? I mean, did Malcolm X die for absolutely nothing? Because when I see the situation today, I think Malcolm should have taken his daughters and his wife and moved out of the country and became a writer. I mean, he died for absolutely nothing. Well, you know, you you
2: know, it's interesting, John. I have guardian angels in Los Angeles. South Central used to be a black enclave, not just uh, a poor and impoverished. It was a black middle class uh, community. I mean. Pastel homes with, uh, I mean, trees and bushes. I mean, they told me that was a ghetto. I rode through there the first time. I said, You're kidding, that ghetto. It's like Southeast Queens, you know, black middle class. It had its gangs. But the Mexican gangbangers and MS-13 have driven out the black community there in South Central Los Angeles. Yep. The Norteños and Sorriños, they call them. Norteños because they're from northern Mexico. Sorrenos because they're from southern Mexico. And they've driven out the Crips and the Bluts. That's how thuggish they are. And the worst of the worst is MS-13. Well, up next, we're going to go to the most uh, requested, the most called into, and the most looked forward to segment of the many segments that I do here at WABC which is the Animal Welfare segment featuring my gorgeous wife, Nancy. And there are a number of stories that involve animal rescue, which she has dedicated her life to, dogs, cats, and other animals, and many of you who are listening. And a number of stories in which dogs and cats have been more heroic than human beings themselves in fighting crime. Oh, you're not going to want to miss this. The Animal Welfare Edition. WABC
1: Over the course of human history there's been Noah's ark, savior of mankind, St Francis of Assisi, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals, and Curtis Sleewa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Slewa From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa.
2: Once again, we share with all of you what Nancy has created in our home, a sanctuary for cats who, if she hadn't gone to the shelters in New York City in time, Would have been destroyed, would have been put down, would have been euthanized. And uh, she has successfully saved dozens and dozens of cats, uh, got them their medical needs, uh, socialized them so that they could uh, find a home of their own and then adopted them out. And the work continues. And we thank you for giving us an hour every Sunday night to keep us updated on our friends and our family members of furry little uh, creatures that sometimes we'd rather hang out with than our own family members.
9: (laughs) Thank you for allowing me to be here.
2: Well, I see there was a bit of a celebration in the Sliwa household with all 18 rescue cats. Uh, We have a Russian blue cat called Tuna who is the senior citizen cat, although if you look at her, she is small, diminutive, obviously had been horribly abused when you rescued her from the shelter, uh, Nancy. And she was celebrating because one of her own, uh, one of her own line of cats had been snatched up, a bodega cat in Park Slope, and... uh, People feared the worst, and I understand after a few days, uh, people looking about, coming together, uh, and looking to find her, that that cat has been found?
9: Yes, indeed, the cat has been found. And it was actually, you know, the story is kind of interesting. So the cat was taken, and the bodega has very good uh, video surveillance cameras outside of its store. So they knew for certain that the cat was taken as opposed to like some other fate. So they started to post pictures. And apparently uh, this bodega owner has a uh, social media related to the cat. And obviously a lot of people who come into the store regularly and they see the cat. So this story garnered, um, you know, a high degree of attention and they were you know posting rewards and you know but basically this this guy's picture was just so very clear-cut so what happened was apparently someone who claimed to know this person had approached the bodega owner uh, several days after this story surfaced and said i'm trying to convince uh, this person to give the cat back and then the following morning when the owner came into the store like the hour before it opened the cat was literally uh, sitting in front of the store. So, um, you know, no information about how the cat got there or who actually took the cat, but the good news was it, it found it, its way back home.
2: Now, it's a great story, but I think a lot of people don't realize the bodega cat that is so important to not only bodegas, but grocery stores, delis, supermarkets, other retail establishments. Uh, there is a law forbidding you to have a cat in your facility, correct?
9: Yeah, it, it, yeah, correct. And actually, what, what's curious is so it's like the Department of Health—they've deemed that bodega cats are, uh, you know, not—it's it's not appropriate to have them in the area of, you know, like where maybe food is potentially being served uh you know you think about the the setup of the bodega usually it's it's quite limited in what types of food products you're gonna see but either way uh the purpose of the bodega cat is it keeps all of the uh different like uh rice and, i'm sorry <laughs> rats mouse and also um you know at like insects at day, so they're basically patrolling the area, so the Department of health would rather that uh, stores put down a lot of different chemicals to do the same exact purpose, which usually are fairly toxic. So they're okay with having toxic poisons close to food as opposed to cats, which is just totally mind-boggling.
2: Not only that, uh, you mentioned insects. Uh, There's a lot of infestation uh, in stores with cockroaches, uh, and Not necessarily because the store is unclean, but because there are so many items being transported in, in boxes. The uh, cockroaches, they like to eat the cardboard and the glue inside of the boxes. So they may themselves have secured, uh they become stowaways in the boxes. And then all of a sudden they're transported into the basement where oftentimes products are stored. And then you have like an invasion of cockroaches. And I have witnessed with my own eyes, the cat. A cat not only prevents the rats, the mice, and the other rodents, but it snatches up those uh, roaches.
9: Yeah, I mean, thankfully, they do just that, and I think also because the incredibly uh, long, uh, you know, time period of the heat that we've been having here. I mean, as much as you know, the, the sentiment goes that oh, you know, they can live through any sort of circumstance. I think the reality is. It's just so very hot, so you actually have a lot of insects that would otherwise be outside all the time, really looking for uh, you know some sort of cool air. So I think they're being drawn into you know any types of like uh, facilities, you know whatever it is, just to keep cool at this point.
2: Now, I think people need to know that the Department of Health will make visits to business establishments, particularly those that prepare food or sell food. And if they see a cat on the premises, they will write a ticket that will knock your eyeballs out. I mean that you would need a reverse mortgage or a payday loan to pay simply for having a cat on the premises.
9: I mean again, this is something that needs to be completely revisited like the laws that uh assign tickets to people who jaywalk. I mean, let's face it, it doesn't make any sense. The cats are one of the cleanest animals you're going to find. So the idea that, you know, the cats are making the place Um, you know, in any way, like, unclean is really ridiculous. And, you know, they usually tend to stay in their locations. But again, I think the biggest incentive you have to go for is every store is concerned about losing a degree of products. So if they're going to be losing them by virtue of having any of these, uh, you know, mini infestations periodically, and, you know, they're going to be putting down poisons. I mean, there's no logic to putting down poisons in close proximity to food. Now, also people, people are walking in the stores, people coming with their kids, you know, their kids are walking in the store. I mean, let's say they'll grab onto anything. So, you know, when you go into stores and you see all of these, you know, uh, sort of uh, baits that they have, to me, that's much more disturbing. I mean, I, I don't really see the logic in how they can maintain that. And I think it really needs to be challenged. I think it's really
2: incumbent upon I remember local
9: officials to do this.
2: What brought it all to the surface a few years ago on the Lower East Side, you had a bodega with a bodega cat, and somebody came in and objected that a cat was there. Department of Health came in, wrote a citation, a heavy fine, thousands of dollars, and then threatened to padlock the, uh, the bodega if they didn't get rid of the bodega cat. They warned him and said they were coming back. And all of a sudden... Residents in the area took it upon themselves to have an online petition. You may have remembered tens of thousands of signatures to save the bodega cat, to allow the bodega to have the cat for a multitude of reasons. And the Department of Health wisely stayed away.
9: I mean, and again, I think this this is uh, the same reason why uh the referendum and initiative makes a lot of sense. You know, you get a lot of feedback. Anytime that the public is made aware of these situations going on, you know, in these singular instances, they can make a difference and they can, you know, keep that one cat in the store. But the reality is what needs to be done is these laws need to be updated because they're completely antiquated. And, again, as to why they exist makes zero sense because there's no logic. I mean, they're not even assigning any any uh, negative impact of having the cats there? It's just this random conclusion. Oh, the, it's it's unclean. Like so, but what are you showing to prove that? It makes no sense. <laughs> so I think they really need to be called into question. This needs to be called out and really reversed because bodega cats are everywhere.
2: Our number is one 9222 That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. This is the Animal Welfare Hour of WABC. Now, I was reading a story coming out of down south, and I thought for sure I had read that it was a guard dog that had stopped a robbery attempt. And I said, oh, I wonder if it was a pit bull terrier, a rottweiler, you know, uh, 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 an aggressive dog. And it turned out it was a a cat? What what, what was it, a, a lion, a tiger, a jaguar, a cougar? Was it a big cat? What kind of cat? stopped a robbery in progress.
9: Well, no, so actually it was a, a calico cat, so a domestic cat. And uh this cat had uh alerted the owner. So basically what happened was it was around 2:30 in the morning and the unusual behavior of the cat, the cat actually was jumping on the owner in the middle of the night waking this owner up and you know as he's telling the story, he's saying, "Oh, this cat never did this before." So it's basically completely unusual behavior which is what um you know made this owner uh you know realize something might be amiss so then he started walking around the home and he then he looked out the window he saw that there was uh two people attempting to break in to his home so uh you know right away he i mean this he went to his his uh I guess where he keeps his, his guns, but then by the time he got back, the, the people had left. But the point is this cat had actually woken this uh man up at two thirty in the morning to alert him to the fact that something was amiss, which is I mean, again, something that you wouldn't necessarily attribute to uh cat behavior.
2: Wow, what a difference down south in Mississippi. You notice the owner who was woken up by the cat, who obviously wanted to alert the owner that There were two people breaking into his uh, building. He didn't call the cops. (laughs) He got his guns. And and
9: actually what's funny is he didn't even call them afterwards to make a report because it's like, okay, the situation was averted. But, like, yeah, to your point, it just shows the very uh, different attitude that you can have when you live in a place where, you know, you can respond accordingly to any of these types of issues.
2: I mean, but think of it. Here is, oh... Gotta call nine one one. Gotta wait. Gotta wait. Gotta wait. Meantime, they've taken uh, out half of your personal items and fled. Down south, they, they don't play around. What? Uh, Someone breaking in my house?
9: A man, a gun, and his cat, and
2: yeah. they solved the problem. That's right. A man, a gun, and his cat. You didn't need the sheriff, the deputy sheriff. Uh, you didn't need a court case. Those thugs immediately ran for the hills, as as they should. Hey, that that's a hero cat there. But let's deal with a story in the Animal Welfare Hour that we've addressed before, and people don't understand the severity of how bad it is, not just in New York City. It's really bad in Newark, nearby Newark. Newark has been rated the dirtiest city, large city in America, and it is garbage everywhere. The mayor, Ras Baraka, do your freaking job, Ras Baraka. Uh, I mean, just dirty everywhere, rats everywhere. They're doing the Crypt Dance, the Hora, the Tarantella. Here is probably on average eight rats now for every one citizen living in New York City. It's a, a, an all-time epidemic. And as a result, where are they finding rats now all over the city of New York? Well, apparently they're taking up residence in
9: people's, the undercarriage of people's cars. So like near their engines and... Uh, places like that. So there's this uh, increased amount of people throughout New York City who are going to uh, the mechanics because they have, uh, you know, something happened where it's like a check engine light, so they don't know what's going on. And then it's being discovered that there's actually uh, rat damage and indications of rats having uh, basically been housing in their, (laughs) their cars overnight.
2: So they're turning the undercarriage of a car or a truck or the internal workings of the engine into a rat lair?
9: Yeah, and and they're, you know, so they're deterring it because, you know, when, like, you know, when they're initially looking, obviously someone has something wrong with their car. If they don't know what, you know, what to do, they just bring it automatically to a place. And then they're lifting up the hoods and they're seeing debris of food, <laughs> which is all scattered throughout the engine. and. You know, again, obviously it's it, they're trying to figure out precisely why is it on the rise, but it just seems to be uh, more of the domino effect of having as many rats as we have now and then also uh, the abundance of the outdoor uh, dining areas because, you know, it's just the proximity of the food, so foods that are being left there. And, uh, you know, I mean, again, the combination of this, the city just having uh, more trash constantly being left on the streets and less pickups. So rather than going back to maybe where their normal den is, they're they're just taking up residence underneath people's cars because it's easier and it's quicker and it's right where the food source is because there's basically food everywhere. (laughs) So that was the conclusion of this story.
2: Well, let's take a a look at Greenwich Village, which is a very bohemian area, an area of a lot of businesses, uh, a lot of traffic, a lot of tourists. The New York Post did an expose of all these sheds outside of restaurants that are no longer being used. They're graffiti, they're vandalized. And at night, people are having triple X rated sexual adventures in these sheds. There's oral sex, there's regular sex, there's freaky deaky sex. It's all going on in these sheds. There are rats who are watching. You say to yourself, what the hell is going on? Yeah, I mean, I, I would
9: think at a minimum, I, I mean, first of all, I'm surprised that these things haven't been mandated to be torn down at this point because it's it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, you have people who can dine indoors, and then even having maybe, you know, like a traditional outdoor seating, but things that, you know, on the overnight, you know, they're closed up and you bring the, uh, the furniture inside, so to speak, but not only to have the abundance of these sheds, but the ones that are completely not used and even sitting in front of buildings that have, you know, restaurants that have already shut down. I mean, there's it seems like there's no enforcement in terms of the, uh, the uh, I guess, I'm not sure what city department it would be, um, but sanitation maybe, but to actually go and check these places out to see if it's not being utilized the way it should be or the business is shuttered, I mean, right away this thing should be torn down. I don't know what's taking so long with this.
2: Well, let's face it, people are getting greased. Inspectors are getting greased to look the other way. I mean, you go and you see a restaurant shed. It's vandalized. It's graffitied. It's no longer being used. You can see it's never being used. Uh, Garbage is being stored in it. People are having sex in it and rats are having parties in it. You know damn well, the inspectors are getting paid they're paying I mean, and and it
9: takes away from uh you know not only like parking but then also uh visibility, so you have these sheds that are uh juxtaposition between traffic lanes and bike lanes, so by having this huge structure that's not doing anything, you know you're making it more dangerous for everybody involved, plus pedestrians are crossing these crosswalks, having to look for not only cars but bike lanes i mean I think you really have to be a little smarter about what you're doing
2: here. Well, I'll tell you, I know exactly what's going to happen. I've seen this uh, this story before. Uh, individuals are going to take the law in their own hands and firebomb these sheds. Because once they're firebombed, then the fire department has to come, put the fire out, and then they have to be destroyed and removed I guarantee you, you're going to see a lot of that if, in fact, the city doesn't do its job and remove those sheds that are no longer being used or are vandalized or are rat-infested or have turned into Plato's retreat. There were there were four or five couples having sex in the same shed.
9: Yeah, I mean, that's that's not a way you want to wake up in the morning on your way out the door seeing that type of stuff. I mean...
2: Well, there might be some freaks who uh, don't mind seeing it, but that's crazy. Anyway, our numbers here, the Animal Welfare Hour, featuring uh, my gorgeous wife, Nancy, Animal <laughs> Rescuer par excellence. Any questions you have about any form of animals, uh, how to handle them, how to deal with them, if you've been able to rescue them from a shelter. And how not to surrender them in case you're running across hard times with disinflation or you don't have the money to care for them any longer. The last thing you want to do is surrender them to a shelter. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Uh, oh, wow. What a great story. You've got to tell us a lost dog was found by a homeless guy who was roaming around and connected the dog who so desperately was in need of being reattached to its family.
9: Yeah, this was a dog that was at, I guess, the equivalent of like a doggy daycare type facility and uh, somehow uh, was able to escape when they were bringing in another dog. And so obviously the, the owner was distraught and put up, all these different signs throughout the neighborhood, and it was a homeless man who actually saw this sign and called the owner to say, "I, fa- I think I found your dog." So, I mean, yeah, that's a great success story. It's like uh, you know, it, you know, it's very—you wouldn't even think that that would be happening, but you know, he was able to to notice what was going on. It'd be great if he got um, some sort of a recognition, but. Uh, the story was a little bit light on the information. So I'm not sure if, if they know exactly who the, who this person was. But, I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a great ending to that story.
2: Now, there are many homeless people who have pets. Uh, and if you notice, uh, a lot of people immediately assume, oh, they're just using that as a ruse when they're begging for money or they're trying to get uh, nourishment or they're trying to get help and they'll have their cat and their dog out next to them. But I don't think they understand that in many instances, when they have a dog, the dog is there to protect them. Because when they go to sleep at night, everybody has to sleep. I mean, look, I break, I'm i up to the break of dawn, but even now, I got to get my three hours of sleep. At some point, they got to sleep. And people don't understand. There are people out there who will rob them, hurt them, beat them, desecrate them. And those dogs are on point while they get a few hours of sleep
9: yeah i mean and and again it's it's definitely it's each person is is an individual and how they feel about pets and how they're treating them you know i mean i don't think you can make any uh overall assumptions about anybody in general so uh if they're they're with their animals i mean it's just a companion on the street if it's a dog like like to your point it, it could just be more like a helpful thing because of protection which is obviously um essential if you're sleeping on the street but yeah i mean i you know i i think it's 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 sort of easy to tell sometimes when you see the animals with them you know you you see the bonds um that they have like you know if they're not chained up in any way if they're um very close and you know they're connected to that person I don't really think that would indicate anything other than that the person's treating them well. So they just happen to both be on the street. And I would rather them be on the street than in the shelter for these animals because, you know, chances are they would be put down.
2: You know, I've uh, seen many women who are homeless, and they're the ones first and foremost who will get a dog for protection because they're even more vulnerable to attack sexual assault.
9: You know what, and and another thing uh, related to um, uh, women and maybe being homeless and having dogs the majority of uh, shelters for homeless people, they don't also allow you to bring a pet in. So there's a lot of situations where someone uh, might be uh, in need of going to a shelter and they won't because they can't bring a pet. So, you know, by they, they're not going to give up their pet. That's very important. And then there's also situations with women particularly where uh, they might want to go into a shelter because of domestic abuse. But if they have an animal at home and that animal is like, I mean, think about how many roles that will play, you know, to their well-being to be able to keep them with their beloved pet, but they they won't part with their pet. So if they can't, they might actually stay in these situations because the options are pretty slim for them leaving with their pet. So, again, this is a very important issue, too. I mean, the more places that permit pets, you know, like you don't want to have apartments where they say, oh, not pet friendly, I mean. There's a lot of reasons why you want to have pets really acknowledged uh, as the family members that they are because they serve so many purposes for people.
2: Our number is 1-800-848-9222. This is the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC. Uh, Just to use you as an example versus me, Nancy, the only one problem we have in our relationship is that you love air conditioning and I hate it. (laughs) I'm home, I turn off the air conditioner, you turn it yes, back on. I know, on. I know. The cats love it when you turn on the air conditioner because especially the Norwegian forest cat, Athena, with her <laughs> long hair, loves it. I hate it. I love to schwitz in my wool red beret and red <laughs> sateen jacket. But I have noticed that more people and more animals are like yourself. You, you walked a half a block the other day, you almost fainted. Uh, from yeah, the heat yeah, and humidity, yeah, but there are all these stories now of people who have left the dogs in their cars yeah. while they either go uh, to do shopping or they're attending to some kind of a paperwork thing that they have to sign, and they're coming back and the dogs are either near death or have died. There's a spate of these situations all over the tri-state area of late.
9: Yeah, I mean definitely that's you know, something that you're going to see arise and as the temperature gets as extreme as it's getting. Uh, You know, one one story recently was about a guide dog that assisted a a woman who she's deaf and blind. And this is like sort of a training, uh, sort of the facility that was training the dog. But, you know, she had already been paired up with him. But this dog was left in the van during the day. And, you know, so all these hours went. Now, again, right, so this is like a tragic story. And obviously with, with people, it's different. Uh, you know, I it's, you know, I, 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 obviously it's never in a, it's an acceptable thing. But, I mean, this situation, too, it's like this was actually a – this was their business, right? They deal with training these animals. And this is a very specific type of animal, one that's working with uh, someone who has these types of, uh, you know, ailments to overcome. So – the fact that they dropped the ball on this is, you know, it's really disturbing and it doesn't seem like there's any indication that they're going to get fined or they're going to get, you know, uh, sort of a, a, a certain amount of time where maybe they're not doing business or their license is being, you know, potentially in jeopardy. It's just like, oh, whoops, we forgot this dog. And, it, you know, you think about it. I mean, this dog was left in the car, and this story, uh, for five and a half hours before they discovered it, right? So, you know, they weren't even doing checks on where is this dog or even wellness checks on the dogs that they have in their possession. So, I mean, to me, this is a little bit obviously being aware of this. I think if someone has a pet, they're going to be, you know, inclined to know where their pet is. Oh, they they wouldn't really think about that too much. They would know, oh, the dog's not in the house. But, a lot of these businesses that work with animals, they seem to get this pass when they, quote-unquote, make a mistake, and that's just not acceptable. I mean, you know, it, this sort of a version of animals being viewed as property, I think, is what continues to allow them to be, you know, sort of caught up in these incredibly horrible situations because you should know where a dog is. I mean, you shouldn't, for five and a half hours, if you're charged with caring for this dog, you should know where the dog is.
2: Well, well, I think also uh, we have been programmed, if we are passing, especially in these vast parking lots and malls or these strip malls, and we've seen uh, babies or children who are in a car and, you know, in the oppressive heat and uh, the window has been cracked ever so slightly, people will immediately bring it to the attention of people nearby or the police. But when they see likewise the same situation, like with a dog, Or a dog that's panting and they can see, wow, that dog is suffering in there. they almost like mind their own business. It's almost like, well, not my business.
9: Yeah, I mean, you know, fortunately, there are certainly good stories, too. Um, Another situation was someone had left their, um, I think it was like a husky dog, in the car while they went inside to a casino, I believe. And someone... Had noticed this dog, and right away they were able to call the uh, the authorities. As they came, they uh, were, you know opened the vehicle. They got the dog out, and when the man came over, and they had this all um, you know videotaped, so they had like the body cam. You know they arrested him right away, which is exactly what this is. I mean, I mean this is a person who not only should you know be punished for for what happened, but I mean, at a minimum, he should not be having pets ever in his life again. So, you know, he needs to be put on the list of not adopting, not having pets. And then imagine, like, what this person's doing with children. If they have kids, I mean, what are they going to do, leave their kid in the car too? Like, it's just such, you know, again, it's such a a completely irresponsible behavior. And, you know, you, you can't really just shrug this off. You need to call these people out.
2: Our number is one 800 848 That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is the Animal Welfare Hour featuring Nancy Sliwa.
1: W-A-B-C. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Slewa Now with Nancy Slewa. Here's Curtis Sliwa.
2: Time to go to the phones, Nancy. It's uh, Max, who's calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour of WABC, Max.
5: Curtis, thank you. Well, I won't say thank you for taking my call because I know you don't like that. But I will say, um, you know, I find it very odd that um, people were complaining about these cats being in bodegas considering that you have almost every person in Manhattan bringing their their dog and their maybe a cat into Whole Foods. And the dogs oftentimes will sniff at the vegetables at the bottom, and they'll even lick them. And
9: no one does it
2: Yeah, there's no doubt. I've seen that myself uh, just in bodegas and in uh, uh, various delis in which people will come in and they make their order and they're sitting there with a the dog or another animal. and Yeah, it really does, uh, Nancy, sort of uh, give you the feel that it's really hypocritical. The city is not going to. I'm wondering
9: if this might be a little bit like, uh, you know, sometimes you see like the little uh, outfits on the dogs, or maybe people are concerned who work at the store to ask because if it's a a service dog or maybe like an emotional support dog, so maybe they just don't want to get into the conversation and offend the person. Like, how dare you? I have my papers. (laughs) And so maybe that's why they don't say anything about it.
2: Yeah, no, no, no doubt. It's one of the few times that people will want to show you their papers because the rest (laughs) of the time you're not permitted to ask for anybody's papers. Remember, we're a sanctuary city and a sanctuary state. Anyway, let's go to Mike in Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike.
7: Yes. I had called you back in January. I said I know a better disposable box uh, used for cats instead of plastic, and it's more environmental-friendly. But you never got back to me. It was back in January. I have told you.
2: And could you uh, restate that uh, so the rest of our audience can hear that, Mike?
7: Yeah. What happens is uh, there are disposable boxes on the market. They're plastic. I know. I use a better material than that to uh, use for disposable boxes, and I think it's a lot cheaper.
2: All right, and what are the benefits versus the traditional plastic containers or even, like, steel containers that are used?
7: I see. From, from what I'm saying, it's a lot better than plastic. That's what I can say.
2: All right, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, hold on the line. Avery, do due yeah, diligence. I have,
7: one other thing. I have one other thing to say.
2: Sure, go also, ahead.
7: Also, uh, I know a non-toxic material that keeps away roaches. You'll be surprised.
2: Now, Non-toxic. What kind yes. of roaches are we talking—the four-legged type or the yeah, partially of the, the
7: American roach? Any roach you're talking about—it uh, American roach or the regular roaches?
2: All right, well, well that, Mike, it doesn't Mike,
7: do anything for water bugs, but it Mike, does it for Mike, the roaches.
2: Mike, Mike, you gotta calm yourself down, Mike. Uh, Avery, get his information. but in this society now, where the recreational use of marijuana is legal. <laughs> You know, you say to somebody like Matt Blaze, our board <laughs> operator, he said, What, there's a roach I can blaze? Remember, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the hipster millennial generation. They think roach, oh you know, I take a little pin, you know, that he has in his uh hat and he puts it in the <laughs> joint that he hasn't finished. There's a little nub to the joint, and then he holds the the, the roach that maybe has a puff or two left, not with his fingers because it'll be all brown, but on the edge of the pin, and then he's, (sighs) you pothead.
9: That just shows that he's being efficient for his generation.
2: Yeah, very efficient, right? He eliminates everything. It all goes up in smoke. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what, that's, that's your name, Blaze. You know what that is. You're blazing away. People have no idea, Nancy, no idea. He walks around all day, hey, I'm Matt Blaze. I mean, nobody's born with a what name. You have
9: to deal with, I know, like, what wo- was Curtis. Yeah, no,
2: nobody has a last name named Blaze.
9: I know, that. that's like that, that's definitely a, a, a name that's meant to be in the media.
2: That's like the rapper, he was number one in the nation when I formed the Guardian Angels, 1980, uh, Curtis Blow. And yes. when I confronted him, I said, oh, we... You were born with that name? What do you think, I'm stupid? I know what blow is. It's cocaine. I said, they made a movie called Blow. And he looked at me like, mm, can't get over on this white boy. But anyway, let's go to the phones. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Eddie in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour on WABC, Eddie. <laughs>
7: Yeah, Curtis, going back with the rat thing, uh, I'm a doorman in Sutton Place, 57th Street. And two weeks ago, I walked by 58th Street to get some coffee in Starbucks. And these two big rats were coming at me. I just opened my legs. They went right through, and they didn't bite me. So I have a lot of differences with rats. <laughs> and also, all these people that don't like rats, but they they all wear Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse shirts.
2: <laughs> I, I just laugh. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Uh, yeah. Eddie, uh, now, how long have you been a doorman at Sutton Place?
7: By the corner of 57th Street, I'm a doorman there for 18 years.
2: Have you ever seen as many rats uh, as we see now, not just at Sutton Place, but all over the city?
4: Uh, honestly, Curtis, I, I see them when the garbage
7: does go out, you know? Mm. But they try to avoid humans. I, I do. They're very intelligent, believe me. They avoid humans, you know? They just want to get
2: their food and, you know, do their thing, you know? Yeah, well, uh, the other day I was at uh, 50th Rockefeller Center. I had just uh, finished doing the Sean Hannity show. And there's a guy. He was a uh, he was a construction worker, and he was tired. You can see he was tired. He had all the gear on. And he was sitting down, his back up against one of the, one of the uh, pillars, and he was waiting for the D train to come. And I woke him up, and he was, like, shocked. You know, like, why are you waking me up, Curtis? I said, turn around and look. There were six rats on the platform doing, like, uh, the crip dance, the horror, the tarantella. He got up. He ran. I mean, he, he, this is a big guy. He was terrified of the rats. Ah, me, I'm used to the rats. Two-legged rats who eat the Parmesan cheese and four-legged rats. I figured I was doing him a solid. The moment he saw the rats, he He ran. What is it about rats, Nancy, that people are so frightened of? Uh, I mean,
9: I I think any time you have animals that are living outdoors, there is a little bit of, you know, just a natural fear, right? Because you don't know them. So there are people who have pet rats. I mean, but I've noticed with um, outdoor cats, like I would think, you know, people would be okay with them, and I definitely see periodically, like, uh, you know, individuals I run into, and they have some fear about them. But I think it's because they don't know them. So you don't know how they're going to respond, how they're going to react. But I I think that scurrying behavior is a little bit uh, distressing as well, because if you know, they're so good at hiding and and keeping themselves at bay. So if all of a sudden you walk by an area, and they just like run by you, I think it creates a little bit of a fear. So you know, maybe it's just the, the unknown. You know, it's not like you can just go right up to them and pet them and interact with them. Like, they go running by, so you think maybe they're up to bad business because you can't stop and interact with them.
2: Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. 848 9222 Now, speaking we, uh, of uh, rats who are uh, embedding themselves uh, in cars under the undercarriage near the engine, it's a new phenomenon. Uh, you've dealt with the issue of feral cats uh, squirreling their way into cars for a number of reasons in the undercarriage near the uh, motors. Why is that and what is the danger in that in not knowing about them being in the car?
9: Well, so, yeah, so the the typical times that uh, you would be concerned about that issue, for the most part, I would say, is during the colder weather, right, because they, they like to... Uh, stay there if they're looking for a place, especially if the car is recently parked, so there's uh, still warmth resonating from the engine area. So, you know, it's a combination of it being a warm spot and also uh, giving a degree of protection because once they're there, so I think that's what's happening now. Uh, If you have any sort of animals, and again, I, I don't think it's typically associated with warm weather, although, I mean, anything could happen at any time because the reality is, it really is just a—it's a safe haven as well. I mean, once you're there, you're not having to worry about uh, any predators coming from all different directions. Like you're in a, a certain area where you can feel a little safe and and defend yourself. So, I mean, if you have any area like that, and and again, you have the proliferation of, you know, animals and they're uh you know living out as I mean actually especially in the summer now too, right? So you have so many kittens being born for for example. So you have rise in population, it also it also could just be trying to claim different territories and maintain safety. So uh normally what suggested to do is like before you start your car, uh just a very basic thing, like you know, hit on the hood, you know, make a little noise because then that will encourage any sort of creature that might be hanging out underneath your car to run because they'll be scared by you knocking on the hood of the car, and this way you won't harm them when you start your engine.
2: Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go, if we can, to Ron, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Ronnie.
4: Hey, how you doing, both of you? Hey, this is a really good show. I'm driving down the parkway right, thinking, okay, I'll listen to this. And I'm like, holy crap, it's really pretty good. Thanks. And, uh, <laughs> Thanks. yeah, especially the story of the, the the hero cat. I mean, come on. He goes up and wakes the guy up. That's pretty, that's that's, <laughs> that's odd. I mean, come on. But anyway, <laughs> me and Curtis story. know each other. We met him on 30-something Street years ago. He was in the red Jeep next to me. I was about two inches to the side of him. I said, hey, Curtis. And he looked at me like, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, that was funny. Um... But the thing is, it would be great to do a show on, like, what dogs, let's say, can't eat. Because I have, like, a lot of dogs, and I'm telling you, I didn't know a lot of this stuff. I mean, yes, chocolate, but there goes a whole lot of other things that they can't do. And I even gave my dog a bath, and I didn't even know that a dog cannot get any water in its lungs. Um, I guess they're pretty good with not doing that when they're swimming and stuff. But... If you have, like, a little dog and you get watered down into their, into their lungs and stuff, they could really have a real bad time. So, anyway, that was just a thought. Anyway, I really love the show. I thought it was really, it's really good.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you. Now, uh, Nancy, just uh, the basics. What are the things, uh, you know, that people tend to do is a dog will come near the dinner table, and although it's not... Being a pest, it'll just look at the people at the dinner table, and <laughs> it's almost like you almost feel like you want to throw a scrap or well, something. They
9: have they have an incredible way of looking at you, where you just feel completely guilty, and you know that's why obviously a lot of people will give in and just uh, feed them table scraps. And I mean, yeah. So again, right? It, that, actually, that's a great uh, sort of suggestion to have. Uh, some of these health sort of related stories because it's true. You you kind of learn as you go, and not a lot of stuff is completely apparent. So, I know with you know with the cats, um, there's always this thing of making sure that you don't have certain things in the apartment. I mean, I wouldn't know that uh, there are certain maybe plants or there are certain. I mean, you know, even like cat-proofing the apartment. I don't leave – I mean, you're you're really big into having rubber bands on everything you have. Yes. And it's like the tiniest piece of uh, plastic that a cat can get into is so completely devastating to its system. And the, the problem with that, too, is when, you know, if your cat all of a sudden isn't feeling well and you don't know what happened and maybe it ingested plastic, you know, one of the typical things that a veterinarian will do, they'll take x-rays but plastics don't show up on the x-rays. So I actually had a cat that um, ingested something, and then it required having to actually uh, do surgery on the cat before knowing it. But, you know, they were sort of just going off the fact of the symptoms because they couldn't see it. So, you know, you have to always uh, pet-proof your house and, you know, going with the idea that, you know, when you're not there, even when you are there, they're going to get into everything. So, anything that's remotely accessible to them, you need to be aware of. Uh, and, you know, again, any little objects, little things. To, I mean, it's, it's almost like kid proofing an apartment. I mean, you really need to be. And then, but again, some of these things that are poisonous, you got to be alerted about. So, yeah, I, I think that's a good suggestion. Like going into some of these things that maybe, you know, wouldn't really strike you off the bat that they're dangerous, but. It's true. They they get into anything and everything. We have our cats can open up the cabinets like it's insane. <laughs> they can get into everything, so I I mean I definitely have everything on lockdown here.
2: Well, you uh, recently gave uh, uh, advice to the brown nosed producer of the Frank Morano show, Alex, because you know Frank has this habit when he chooses to be here if he's not on vacation. <laughs> To start offering advice when people have cat issues uh, just because uh, he has cats as a result of his uh, marriage to Rachel, who was the cat lover, not Frank. He was a dog lover. But I see on the uh, program chart, if he had decided to show up for work and uh, not continue his vacation, they were going to have a discussion about Skittles. Skittles potentially having titanium dioxide versus M&M's. And you know what? The younger generation loves Skittles. The older generation love M&M's. I have a feeling that Frank was snoring some M&M's as a result of talking about this. I'll get down to the bottom of this. You better believe it. Anyway, let's go to uh, the phones. And it's Gene calling from Queens. Welcome to the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Gene. Good morning, Curtis. Uh, I worked in construction. I got hurt, but I used to do
7: safety. And I went out to Goethals Avenue in Flushing, where Flushing, where Queens General Hospital is. There's a powerhouse, sure, where the, where the morgue used to be. Yes. So they're going to take the morgue down, and they took the morgue down and put a school in there. But anyway, that whole area, it was just weird. There was cats all over the place, feral cats, and we had a watchman there. It was a real nice little guy from. He was from Africa. He was the watchman. And he said they came there like to do a walkthrough. All the contractors to look at the demolition of the morgue. There was a the morgue and it was an office building on top of it. And down in the tunnels and stuff, he said everybody came out. here, They all had fleas from the cats. Hmm. But in that area, there was a, there was like a, a doctor's parking lot, and there was a ramp coming down. And we started clearing stuff out for the ramp. There was loads of uh, like those big rubber-made tubs that like someone made these things, and it was like. Tubes that they go into these cats oh, go yeah, like the place.
9: They're like uh, like where they sleep and and things like that.
2: So uh, Nancy, explain that because you yourself and other uh, cat lovers who uh, prepare uh, prepare housing for feral cats who live outdoors, especially when it comes to winter time, what is it you do to sort of make them their own little condos? Uh,
9: okay. Well, yeah. Well, so the the uh, typical condo. Uh, Setup is a uh, Tupperware type container, you know, something that's that material so that it prevents rain or snow, anything like that's wet. And then internally, you have something that's insulating, uh, like styrofoam or uh, straw. So, something that, you know, when they walk in, they're going to be warmed up or, you know, but, uh, you know, again, t- t- this story sounds kind of interesting. And a lot of times when there's this type of, uh, you know, any sort of uh, issues going on where maybe they're they're sort of uh, updating an area and they're starting to break ground. See, this is what is a constant battle that I've had a lot of people uh, reach out to me. And also I've seen a lot of people who are dealing with this same situation. There are cats that are being taken care of, which clearly is happening here, because if there's housing units, that means that you have someone who's taking care of these cats. And then all of a sudden, uh, someone, you know, either buys the property or they decide to change the use of the property. So now they're breaking ground. And the people who care for the cats are in this battle. And sadly, they have zero recourse because uh, the city doesn't you know help them whatsoever to maintain their cat colonies, even though. They encourage the public at large to register their cat colonies, letting people know, oh, this is where these cats are. When you have a cat colony, these cats are – they're fixed. They have their shots. They're being uh, regularly taken care of. Their area is being cleaned up. Like, this is a maintained colony. And what happens is a lot of these people who take over and start renovating an area, they they have no concept of what's going on. So they just say, oh, no, no, I, I want these cats out of here. Take them out of here. And then they start breaking ground, and then what happens is they start disrupting a lot of rat colonies, and the exact you know uh, partner that they need to have these feral cats, who would keep this rat infestation at bay, they're gone because they cause them to be cleared out. So a lot of these um, you know developers, a lot of these companies who do this, they really need to be working more hand in hand with people are, who are willing to you know, take care of these cats because you know that they're not creating new kittens and their entire job is to take care of these, you know, uh, predators at bay. So, you know, it's like at, this, at the exact time when they need them, they're getting rid of them. So this is really an, an issue that, that, you know, these people need to come together and also recognize what's going on. These cats serve an incredibly important purpose and people are taking care of them. It's no problem for them. It's no... You know, it's no money for them. These people are doing this because they love the cats. Like, this needs to be a partnership that really the city promotes a lot more because a lot of development goes on all the time.
2: Uh, Let's go to Janice, who is calling up from New Jersey. Welcome to the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Janice.
8: Hi, uh, Curtis. I've been really upset for a couple of weeks trying to get a hold of you. I know you don't take calls at lunchtime, and your call screener hung up on me when I told him who I was and what I was calling about. I was trying to get a hold of you, and now that your wife is on, maybe you could investigate something. You two weeks ago, as soon as you finished the animal show, I was up all night listening to a program, and I heard a story about wild horses that are being decimated. There are something like 450,000 horses out over the ten plains in the middle of the United States, and now there are 80,000 horses. What's happening to them? Where are they going? The Bureau of Land Management, of course, is not going to tell you they're doing anything wrong. But uh, with with, uh, this area going to only 10 states out of 48 and a house every 100 miles, there aren't enough people out there to complain about it. I wonder if you and Nancy could investigate what's happening to the horses. Well,
2: I I followed up on that because uh, oftentimes, unfortunately, they're brought to slaughterhouses. Now, Americans are not big consumers of horse meat, but it's shipped to Italy. You would be amazed at the amount of horse meat that is eaten in Italy. It is the number one consumer of horse meat in the world. And I tell a lot of people, uh, Janice, you know, they sit down for a piece of braggiole as part of an Italian traditional dinner. And I said, there's a very good chance that braggiole is horse meat. They said, come on, Curtis. I said, Yes. Rajol is horse meat in Italy, as are other meats there. And you're right, Janice, it needs to stop. And uh, they're doing this with our our taxpayer dollars, rounding them up, bringing them to uh, the slaughterhouse, and uh, basically executing them.
8: I used to live in Korea, uh, Curtis, and I know that they go in their own backyards and kill their spitz dogs and eat them.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. and we'll follow up on that, Janice. Please stay on the line. Avery, get the information of Janet so we can do a deep dive on this, Nancy, if you please can, and just augment what little I already know about it. But there are many people who are complaining about the way we have wild horses and ultimately how they're all herded together, brought to the slaughterhouse. And then the meat uh, is actually... uh, generated and shipped to either Argentina or mostly to Italy.
9: And, and this is something that you know anyone who's listening they definitely should be reaching out to their local officials officials and making a big stink about this because the reality is I think this is something that falls very low on the agenda of any public officials and the fact is the federal government is doing this this is their job to care for these wild horses they've dropped the ball they haven't done any uh, efficient spain-neuter sort of uh, element to uh, bring the populations low. And now that they've dropped the ball for decades, they have an overabundance and they're just choosing to kill them and they can make money by selling them for meat. So this is this is exactly what's going on. They messed up, and as a result, these animals are going to be suffering. So, I mean, I think if you, you know, I, I think this is where people can really make an impact when they contact their local officials and let them know, we can't be doing this anymore. This is It's really just a, a change of budgetary focus and focusing on the rights of these animals. I mean, these animals, they need to be helped at this point. We can't be selling them for meat. This is ridiculous.
0: W-A-B-C.
1: The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Slewa Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis slewa
2: Nancy, if uh, our listeners would like to get in touch with you with more information about animal welfare issues, how can they do that?
9: Uh, They can email me, uh, nancy, at guardianangels.org.
2: Okay, and go to guardianangels.org and uh, hit that tab, uh, uh, Guardian Angel Animal Protection, and see all the great work that Nancy and the other volunteers in the Guardian Angels are doing to help animals. By the way, we may have to throw a lifeline to our very dear friend Dominic Carter, I believe. His he recently <laughs> suffered the loss of his beloved dog and he's he's really he's been sitting shiver for a long time. For people who have loved the the pet and their lost the pet in their lives regardless of what it is, would you suggest getting a replacement uh, pet right away or or just allowing some time to pass?
9: I mean, personally, I think if you're an animal lover, I don't see any reason why you would, you know, not uh, adopt a new pet right away because you're probably going to that's going to be the course for you anyway. So I think that might be a nice way to help in. Your recovery, well, well, I tell
2: you what, especially if you're
9: adopting an animal that needs help, you know. This way, you know, like you, you feel good because you're actually doing something good.
2: Well, I tell you what, we need to stretch our hands across to Pomona in Rockland County and see if we can assist Dominic Carter in his time of uh, sitting shiver for the loss of his beloved dog.